The Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day, Joe Rogan Podcast by night, all day. Hello, Brian Simpson. What's going on, man? Good to see you, my friend. Hell yeah. What's happening? I'm chilling, man. I'm just living my best life. That's the thing that a lot of people say, and they don't really mean it. But I believe I mean you. that shit. I believe you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Last night was fun, right? Hell yeah. Those shows at Vulcan are lit. That was a good-ass crowd, man. They're real good. Always good crowds there. It's a good spot, too, because everybody's on top of you. You know, you're just, like, in the mix of everything. Once they shorten that stage, remember how they had the double stage and they knocked oh, it down? Yeah, yeah. Well, I like I like every – I find it, like, as I'm going around more and more, like, it's almost like, like Zany's mm-hmm. in Nashville. was like any club that has, like, a little – like, people up above you, yeah. I, I love that shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, any time they're just stuffed in on top of you. Like, one of the best clubs I ever worked at was the Comedy Connection in Boston. Not the one in Faneuil Hall, but the old one, the original one. It was, I mean, it maybe sat 150 people, but they were stuffed into this room with, like, a low ceiling, and it was magic, man. You would you would kill, and it was it was so contagious. The laughter was so contagious. Because yeah. everybody was just smushed on top of each other. Where'd you start? Um, I started comedy in San Diego. Really? At yeah. La Jolla? Where'd you go? No, no. I started um, I started on a, a, a club called The Madhouse. The, oh, okay. Yeah. I heard of that place. Diaz used to do that place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, was, it's like, it was like started by comics or a comic, and it was just one of those places where I got lucky right away. They started giving me a lot of stage time. I started. Because I, I started right when they opened. Were you from San Diego? No, nah, but I, I got stationed there a long time ago. And I I went back there to go to school, and that's where I just chose to start. What branch of the military are you in? Marine Corps. And so you did you always know you wanted to be a comic? Like, where did it come from? Nah, I I just I kept being told to do that. Like, ah. I I uh I tell the story all the time, but I was I was the uh, I was the only black person in my platoon for a couple of years, and before I got there, some racial shit went down. And they like, you know, somebody officer got removed, and they took black people all out of the, out of the unit. And I was the first black person back in the unit, and I didn't know none of this. And then, and then I got to them, you know, it, I could feel everyone like walking on eggshells around me. And one day, my uh, my warrant officer asked me like, "Hey, how you doing?" You know. It's like, is everybody treating you well? And I was like, well, sir, everybody's fucking acting weird. Like, I, you know, I, I can hear, <laughs> I can hear conversations hush up when I come in the room. I can, you can feel people like editing themselves and shit. Uh-huh. And then he told me what happened, and uh, and I realized like this can't work. So I told everybody, hey, just say whatever you want to say. Don't worry about if you offend me, because if you do, I'm just gonna try to hurt your feelings too. You know, like I'm gonna say what I want. And you say what you want, and I'm gonna win most of those. You know? <laughs> and then I, so then I sort of had like a little more leeway than everybody else to speak my mind. Right. And so every now and then I would say some shit that I knew everybody was thinking, but nobody could say but me, and it would, people would laugh. And that's when I started realizing, oh, I, like, I can make, I can do this. Like just me complaining is funny. So you had no thoughts like one day I want to be a stand-up comedian. It was no. sort of introduced into your head by that. Yeah. Yeah, like I, I started getting laughs all the time, like all the time, <laughs> and and those those friends were the ones that started being like, you should do fucking comedy, you know. And that's when it, that's when I started wanting to do it. And what year did you get on stage first? Two thousand eleven. How much did you think about it before you did it? How long? 
Did you like write it oh, out? Did oh you yeah, practice? I wrote. I probably. I think I wrote my first joke in like 2005. Oh wow! And I waited six years to get on stage. Wow. So it was brewing in your head. Oh yeah, it was brewing and brewing and brewing. But you know, you because you have that thing where you're afraid to go after something like that. Mm-hmm. Where you like, because at the time I was in school, and it's like, am I really gonna give up my my safe plan? Yeah. For some for a pipe dream, and it's like. Yeah, I think so. Dude, this whiskey is good. What is this yeah, shit? Yeah, this shit's smooth. It's called, uh, is this the stuff that... They got much more scotch. Yes, frog, but is this, frog. who brought us this? I, I'm trying to remember. It was only a couple weeks ago, too. What is it Was called? it Eliza? It might have it been Eliza. It may have been with that other, I don't remember. Maybe. Though. It's called uh, Lafro A-I-C? Lafroy? I used oh, to it's say a G. Lafrag. Irish single malt Scotch whiskey, age ten years. It's real shit though. It's got it's peaty, right? It, it's probably a. It tastes like uh, it's got that. Lafroig. There you ah, go. There you Lefroig. go. Lafroig. <laughs> it's got that um, peaty taste. Is yeah, that the d- right word? It doesn't taste like any whiskey I've ever tasted. It's good, but it's good. Yeah. I like it a lot. It's legit. There's a lot of good whiskey out there. That's uh, one of the things about this podcast. Like, they found out that I like whiskey, so I got sent a whole shitload of whiskey. Uh, you, have you tried them all? Tried basically all of them, yeah. Buffalo Trace is a sponsor. They're the shit. That's my favorite in, in that it's the oldest company that I've ever even heard of. They're from 1773. Really? Yeah, they started making whiskey before there was a country. The United States wasn't even fully formed yet. Damn, how come they're not more popular? Buffalo Trace? They're pretty popular. Yeah. But they're like... You know, like super hardcore about their like their aging, like they that's aged eight years, and then this shit is ten years. This Lafreg, how do you say it? Lafreg, 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 like a Freug, Lafreg, like a frog with a Y. Lafreg. Still, Austin's another company that sent us a, a batch of shit. It's really good, really good stuff. Yeah, I feel like every time I see you, it's a different different kind of whiskey. Around. Yeah, I decided I like I like alcohol that I know it's alcohol. Like, I don't mind a nice fruity drink. I don't mind a pina colada, but I like when you drink whiskey, you know what the fuck you're getting into, you know? Yeah. You drink it, you're like, yikes. Yeah, you're like you're drinking a tree. <laughs> <laughs> that tastes like a tree. Well, it tastes, it's got a kick, you know? It's like, yeah. I like things with a, I like a really spicy hot sauce. I like, I like stuff with kicks, you know? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan. I mean, I'm not a fan. Of, I don't want the shit to be spicy for no reason. Oh, okay. Where yeah. where it's to, to the like you know I got friends we, we used to play this shit called um or they used to play this shit called uh, like hot wing roulette. Oh, like that show uh, Hot Ones. But something like that, except we just eat except we would like we would like go to Hooters or something and get mm-hmm. get like they, get like twenty five or, or twenty regular wings and then get five of like the crazy oh, shitty okay. ones that you got to sign a waiver for and yeah. then mix them all together. Oh, so you don't know, right? And so, I, and then I get to pick which wing you have to eat. So I go yeah, eat that one, and so and so it's just to see who's going to get the fucking the shitty the death one. one. Yeah, there used to be a place near Boston Comedy in New York City. Back when Boston Comedy was in the Village, um, there was a, a place, a wing place. I'm trying to remember the place, I'm trying to remember the name of it, but I do remember that they had wings that were labeled suicide. They were they were so strong, they were so hot. Like you, you had all these different levels that you could choose, and one of them was suicide. And I used to get those suicide wings every time I worked there. No, no that's crazy. They were ridiculous. They were so hot. It, it hurts. Yeah. And then, it, and then it burns your asshole later. Nah, that doesn't happen with me. I don't get the asshole burn, but I do get a tongue numbing, where your tongue is like, oh, oh. <laughs> but uh, I like it. 
I like I like real spicy. Dude, am I? Yeah, the shooting star. Oh, okay. man, you got to warn motherfuckers about that. <laughs> I, bro, I thought, <laughs> I was like, what was in that edible? Was, it, was that shrooms? <sighs> I thought I was lunging, okay. Yeah, it's like a Rolls Royce has one of those on their ceiling. No, that's cool. Some Rolls Royces, right? Which one is it? The Phantom? Maybe all of them, I don't know. But I, how'd you feel about um about the Olympics banning uh Shakari Richardson for a hundred percent horseshit? First of all, I think the Olympics are disgusting because that lady should be getting paid millions of dollars. All of them should be getting paid millions of dollars. All the winners of the gold medals, all those all those people that are generating insane amounts of wealth for the Olympics, they should get a giant piece of that. They're responsible for the reason why people are watching the Olympics. Right. No one is watching the Olympics because it's the Olympics. They're watching the Olympics because you see the best athletes on the world, right? Yeah. You see the best athletes who have gone through all these competitions and reached this insane pinnacle of their skill development, right? And they're getting nothing. They're getting zero, and the whole world's watching, and they're selling crazy advertisement, and that money's being generated, and the networks are making it, and the IOC is making it, and all these other people are making it, and the athletes, the whole reason people are tuning in, they get nothing. It's insane. Yeah. It's a disgusting, corrupt system. It's gross. And then a lot it's of times gross. the cities that they move into, like once they're gone, they fall the fuck apart. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, it's a lot of times, you know, these countries, they build up this whole thing for the Olympics and they're incentivized and there's a lot of money that flows into the city. And then once they pull out of that, I mean, the people that live in that country are like, hey, well, why didn't you spend that shit on infrastructure? Why didn't you spend that shit to fix the bridges and the streets and to, you know, to fucking fix these communities? But there's no money in that. I don't give a fuck about you. Dirty, these dirty fucks. But I, I think it's infuriating that this lady, who is uh, apparently like she's a shoe in for the gold medal in the 100 meters. She's supposed to be spectacular. And they're not going to let her run that. But they're going to let her run the relay. Like, fuck you. Oh, they're going to let her run? Yeah, they're going to let her run. Yeah, because if she doesn't run the relay, America probably doesn't win. I mean, I don't know. I don't know jack shit about track off. and field. I think she's kept off. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you Exclusion mean? Exclusion from the relay team. Yeah, I saw that last night. Oh, this is new? Mm-hmm. She's not on the team. But for weed, For though. weed. It's so dumb. It's so dumb. For weed. It's so dumb. Look, if they caught her doing steroids or EPO, okay. I get it. Okay. But man, there was a lot of people accusing her of steroids. There was like a lot of people accusing her of a conspiracy. So the reason why uh, she smoked weed was so that she could get caught for weed and not get caught for steroids. Like, I was reading this. I'm like, you People can't just look at things for what they are. Everyone has to like look at things like with this conspiracy theory lens. Yeah, I mean, but that's just that's just idiots. Yeah, like people that that peddle in conspiracies and and rumors. It's like they, it's a substitute for for doing the work to, to become actually intelligent. If you it, just say the opposite of what everyone's saying. It is, however, track and field apparently has been the one of the dirtiest sports. Like, they've been cheating from the jump. Oh, yeah. Apparently, like, most countries cheat. They try to figure out a way to juice their athletes up. Yeah, I mean, that's every athlete. Did you ever see that movie, um, uh, Icarus? No. The documentary? It's a documentary about the Sochi Olympic Games. Well, it's a, it's a documentary about doping. And what it was about was this guy, Brian Fogel. And he decided to make this documentary. It was a brilliant idea. He said, I'm going to do a race clean. I'm going to do like a cycling race. I'm going to do my, he was a cyclist. He's like, I'm going to do a race clean. And then I'm going to hire someone to dope me up and I'm going to document it all. 
I'm going to hire someone to give me EPO and steroids and everything I can take. And let me try to do it again and see if, how much better my time is. So along the way, while he's doing this, he's, he's getting all this advice on how to do doping by this guy, Gregory Rachenkov. Gregory Rachenkov is the head of the Russian anti-doping agency, which is not really anti-doping at all. Right. The Russian anti-doping agency is state-funded. State <laughs> so yeah. while he's doing this documentary, Russia gets busted for the Sochi Olympics. And with the Sochi Olympics, it was like this super sophisticated doping strategy. What they would do is they doped up the entire team, but it was in Russia. So they had control of where the bottles were kept of the piss. Mm -hmm. So they had a hole in the wall. And so they would take the dirty piss out, put it through a hole in the wall, and then someone would give them a clean piss and they would replace the clean piss. And they'd, they'd, they figured out a way to open these jars that were supposed to be unopenable. They had the Olympics had developed these these jars that you could not open them okay. But the Russians figured out how to open them and they found these microscopic scratches Inside the jars inside the lid that indicate that somebody had manipulated them So then they do this deep dive investigation and They find out that this is not their piss at all and that this is all clean piss that was substituted for their piss to make everybody test Negative meanwhile the Russians won more gold medals than anybody they just dominated and everything because all their athletes were juiced up Gregory said they juiced up everybody except the figure skaters because apparently female figure skaters they when they juiced them up It, it actually didn't help them at all it fucked with their fine motor skills because oh, yeah. you know figure skating is such a delicate thing You know when you're doing those spins and shit like that. It didn't yeah. and they made the girls too too manly little bit too manly That's fucked up. Yeah, it's a so, great documentary and they, though that's, And then the, the, the Russians got banned from everything they got banned from everything for a whole from from the the Rio Olympics afterwards. Russians could only compete as individuals. They couldn't compete for Russia, and then they banned a bunch of different Russian athletes. It was I'm not sure exactly what the specifics are, but it was a big fucking deal. It was a big deal, and it was basically all documented. He got lucky. Like this guy who's a Brian Fogel who's a, a, a tremendous documentary maker. I mean, he's amazing. I've had him on a couple of times. He's also a guy that wrote that he, he made that film The Dissident, which is all about the murder of Jamal Khashoggi, who's the journalist from the Washington Post who was killed by the Saudis because he was criticizing them. And bro, they they chopped him up and carried him out in briefcases. He went to a, an embassy. Yeah, oh, is this is, was this was this what the whole like Saudi Prince thing was about? Yes. Oh yes, shit. Okay. Yes. 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 Yeah, I, I never looked into it. He, yeah, he got he had somebody killed for just saying mm -hmm. fucked up shit about him while criticizing the government. You know, he was. Uh, I think he he used to work with them, and then he started criticizing them, and then they just decided to just whack him. Yeah, but but this guy Brian Fogel documented that too. He's amazing. He's, his his documentaries are incredible. But this Icarus, he got the plug on everything. Everybody that watches the Olympics, please, please watch this documentary Icarus, so you understand how corrupt all that shit is. Yeah, it's so insanely corrupt. It's just. It's a propaganda vehicle for each individual country. They're just trying to show that their country's number one, and they'll do anything to do that. I'm surprised we haven't been caught doing something like that. I wonder. I, I don't know if the United States participates in state-funded anti-doping, but I do know that individuals have doped for sure. Oh yeah. There's like sneaky strategies. Yeah, because you don't. Because it doesn't have to be the state if we no. if, if you have capitalism. Like if it's profitable, exactly. people will cheat. You know, on mm -hmm. their own. 
Well, yeah. there was um, what is the guy's name from Balco? Guy, he he'd been on the podcast before. Yeah, Victor Conte. Victor Conte, uh, he's the one who said that basically all track and field is dirty. He's like, uh, particularly like, look at these countries that dominate in track and field. He goes, most likely there's some sort of state-funded doping program, and they're just either microdosing these people with testosterone, and they're sneaking EPO in them. They're doing something where you, they're doing it at levels where it, uh, either they don't get tested regularly, or by the time they do get tested, they make sure it clears out of their system. But they have like super sophisticated methods to make sure that they don't get caught. It's, it sounds like eventually they're gonna have to start letting people dope. Well, you know what the real problem is? The real problem is gene therapy because one of these days they're going to devise gene therapy for athletes that's effective because they have this thing called CRISPR. And CRISPR oh, that's is terrifying. You know what CRISPR is? Yeah, well, they can like, yeah. they can like slice like edit genes mm-hmm. with it and shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. I that's t- I think that's the scariest thing that no one's talking about. How you can, you know, you can just buy one of those on the internet. Like somebody in there, some kid in their basement with a, with a couple thousand dollars can just be in there fucking experimenting with shit. Can you? Yeah, I mean, I mean, you can, it's not like I, you can go on Amazon and get one, but I'm sure you can buy one on the on the dark web or some shit like that. Probably. Yeah. Well, it's terrifying. You there was uh, what was that that one documentary? Um, Odessa, Operation Odessa. That in Oper- Operation Odessa, they were trying to sell this dude a submarine. And they asked him if he wanted to buy nuclear weapons, too. They were trying to sell him a submarine for drugs. He was going to smuggle drugs with a Russian submarine. And while he's there, they're like, do you want the nuclear missile? And he's like, what? No, you don't, I don't want a fucking missile. No. no. And why does it need to be nuclear? <laughs> because the Russians. Russians take everything to the next level. <laughs> you imagine you'd go to buy a, you're buying a, a sub to sell Coke, right? You're trying to move Coke. And so you get a submarine so you can sneak past the DEA and they ask you if you want a nuclear bomb. Right. Imagine if you're so coked up you say yes. You're going to nuke the, you're going to nuke the DEA and kill yourself yeah. with the process. Imagine. Yeah. Imagine if you see a mushroom cloud in the middle of the ocean. Boom. You nuke in the fucking Coast Guard. Yeah. Or it starts raining like irradiated cocaine. Ooh, wow. Wow. That's heavy. <laughs> I think we just I think we just had, had a movie idea. Mm. Starts raining <laughs> irradiated yeah. cocaine, everybody steps outside. It's a new super aggro Godzilla cuz Godzilla was supposedly created because of nuclear weapons. Right, right. That was the Godzilla, the original Godzilla story was like the original Godzilla movie was post World War II in Japan and they had you know, they got nuked. So the the idea was that this nuclear radiation had changed these creatures and turned them into monsters. Well, he'd be like the wrath of man or whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I, I don't know about the fucking. I, so, you know, the problem is with the with the with the weed shit is that. It's really our, it's really our fault because we're such fucking proves we, we we need to legalize all drugs. Yes. And it's the fact that we leave it up to be picking and choosing of what's good drug and what's bad drug that we allow these bodies to exist to make up these dumbass rules. Mm-hmm. I say legalize everything. I want I want crack in the store. I want heroin in the store. I want every recreational drug available. If it don't, if it's not poison, let it let it go. The problem is there'll be a there's going to be a time period where a lot of people die, and then people figure it out. And if that's your kid that dies during that time period, and that's the, what people are worried about. Well, right. people are worried about children overdosing, young kids overdosing. So they're, they're worried about people that have never had access to these drugs now all of a sudden have unfettered access, and you can just buy whatever you want. 
but the the le the the idea behind it legalizing everything it's a good idea because there's so much that's already legal i mean right. look at the problem we have with opiates in this country those are all legal you know you're buying oxycontin yeah. and oxycodone and vicodin and all that stuff that stuff is legal so people get it whether it's through legal or illegal means it's legally made and it's legally sold it's legally prescribed for people with pain yeah uh, you could get it all you have to do is say you get, your back hurts there was a documentary about that shit, the opioid shit. Oh, yeah. Where one like, of them called uh, Oxycontin Express. Did you see that one? No, no, no. Wh which one are you talking about? I, I forget the name, but it was, I think it's the one on Netflix. But they they were just, like one that recently came out on Netflix, and they, and they were just talking about how it's just the, the biggest, the crime of the century. Yeah. Well, it is. And, you know, there's a lot of countries where uh, they don't allow, well, most countries don't allow people to advertise for drugs. This is the only country where they allow you. They can have drug ads on TV. This country and New Zealand, the only two countries that allow that. This is it, the pharmacist? No, that wasn't it. It's another one. After his tragic death, uh, a Louisiana pharmacist goes to extremes to expose the rampant corruption behind the opioid addiction crisis. Yeah. See, this is the argument against legalization, though, right? Because it was everywhere, and kids could just try it. It was readily available, and you didn't really even need a prescription to get it. You know, kids could get it. Like some asshole who's 21 can buy it, and he could sell it to your kids. <sighs> it's it's a tough sell because, like, I've never tried heroin, but um, who knows if I would have? It was if it was legal, if I could just get it anywhere. Well, when I was young and dumb, I probably would have tried it. Yeah, and I mean, and well, the thing is, it's like I think because I think some people look at it like we're choosing between just fucking chaos. Or, or this world where everyone's safe. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's like people people are unsafe in either world. The only the difference between the world where everything's legal and and what we have now, right? It's just that people get fucked over for bullshit. Like people that got their shit together, people that can do heroin. I I, I know mad functional crackheads that like got a family and a job and everything, right? And they they just smoke crack like we drink beers or yeah. like we drink whiskey. Cause that's just that's their whiskey. They love crack. Well, and there's also they, educated people that enjoy heroin. I mean, I've talked about him a million times, but again, Dr. Carl Hart, he's a professor at Columbia. Is he black? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Dreadlocks. That, I, I saw him when he, came, when he came out last year. He was, like, doing heroin a little bit. He's been on my podcast a couple times, and he was on recently, and, you know, he talks openly about how he enjoys heroin and about heroin. Like, he'll snort a little heroin, and he said it makes him more compassionate, makes him kinder. He's nicer to his wife. He's nicer to his family. It's like... He, he talks about how it makes him closer to people, but he's a genius, yeah. and he's a guy who's also a guy who studies these chemicals. He was a, like a complete clean sober guy until he was in his 30s, and then he starts researching all these drugs and because he's a drug researcher. I mean, this is what he did. He's okay, a yeah. clinical researcher. So in the process of researching it, he's realizing like we have a completely distorted public image of what these things are and do. I agree. And he's like, real cocaine, like actual cocaine, he goes, it's wonderful. He goes, it's great. You would love it. He's like, the problem is this shit that you're buying that's stepped on, it's filled with fentanyl and, and, and all kinds of other stuff. You know, because of the fact that it's illegal, <clears throat> we're propping up all these, uh, these drug cartels, yep. these organized crime cartels, and then on top of it, you're not even getting pure shit because they step on it. Yeah, can you imagine if like the companies that already do that shit got in the real drug game? Mm. Well, at least you know? you'd get real stuff. You'd get it pure. I mean, if they got in the pure cocaine game, yeah. and we realized, hey, pure pure cocaine actually just makes you really productive. You just talk a lot, <laughs> right? 
You just get a brand name on that <laughs> motherfucker. Kellogg's Cocaine. Yeah, I've never fucked with Coke. I've never even tried it. It's not worth it. I had a I friend <clears throat> in high school, and his uh, his cousin became like, an addict, and I saw it early on. I was like, fuck that drug. All the people I know that love cocaine are pieces of shit. Like all the ones, because <laughs> it it literally that's the effect. Yeah. That, like long term coke use, mm-hmm. it destroys. It turns you into an asshole. Like in your mind, it like destroys the part of your mind that's like chill. Right. Yeah, and you slowly get fucking nuts. Like everybody I know that's been on it for a long time and mm-hmm. like goes on multiple benders, they're always they're always assholes. It's mm. just turn them into like just a just the shittiest version of themselves. They get paranoid. They start thinking people are against them. Yep. Yeah, and it's well, I like, think we're getting that with Adderall. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of people out there that are super paranoid that take Adderall. And, and, all, and all, most of those people are, are the ones getting college degrees. Like, they doing it and they, they get the habit in school, they yep. get the degree, and yep. they fucking run the society. Well, they can get, the, you can do a lot of work when you're on Adderall, apparently. I've never, that's another thing I've never tried, but I'm thinking about trying it. No, because um, I, I've, I, I'm, I don't know the fucking research to quote but i've read that it uh that it doesn't actually make you do better work it just makes you do the shitty work you're doing because you're tired it just makes you be able to do that for longer i think it depends on who you are i think there's well first of all i know for a fact because i have friends that are journalists that a lot of journalists are doing adderall they're doing adderall because if you say if you're writing what if you have to write a 2500 word uh essay on Uh, something right and you have like three weeks to do it or whatever you have and you're just grinding around the clock you know it's hard to keep up your energy especially if you look at a lot of these guys they're not healthy they don't exercise they're not they're not fit and then maybe don't have the best discipline in the world they pop a couple of what color adderalls White, white, couple of those white jammies, get that party started. Whoa! And it's basically a form of amphetamine. It's not much different than meth. Yeah, it's pretty much the same, right? Pretty much. Yeah, it's just slightly different. And I think maybe it's like a little bit more of a slow release thing than than some of the the you know like the fucking um, Breaking Bad meth. <laughs> oh yeah, but no, but you can. But the the slow release coating is just on the outside. You just mm. crush it up and it's it's gone. Well, I had a friend of mine who was a writer. He used to snort it. He used to crush it up and snort it. And his wife got furious at him. She's like, what the fuck are you doing? He's like, I got a deadline. She's like, you're snorting drugs. You I'm for it. Adderall. I'm for it. If the drugs you're doing, <laughs> if the drugs you're doing are making you better, you know, because to me it's like your addiction is not a problem until, it, until it's affecting your life negatively. Like, and you can't stop, that's when it's a problem. But it's like if, if, if the drugs you're doing are improving your life, then. Yeah. I don't see the problem. If you can, if you're Carl Hart, right? If you can handle it. Right. If you're a, an intelligent person that understands what you're doing, the problem is a lot of people are not intelligent. They don't understand what they're doing, and they're looking for escapes. You know, some people are just looking to escape reality. Yeah. And they're looking to um, escape their responsibilities. And they're, you know, like a lot of people, like one of the reasons why they want to get fucked up in the first place is because there's a lot of shit that they need to handle and deal with that they're not dealing with, whether it's bills or relationship shit or work shit or whatever the fuck it is. And so they just get blasted, you know? For some people, that's the only happiness they got. Right. Let them get fucked up. Right. That's the the other side of it, right? Yeah. Especially if you can keep a job. I mean, mean, imagine if... Because there's some people whose lives are just mostly misery. 
Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it's like, like people get people get upset at homeless people for being fucked up all the time. It's like, motherfucker, like ninety percent of his life is misery. Right. That's why he gets. That's why he goes so hard on the drugs. Right. That's for all sure. he has. Yeah. You you know um you ever heard of that um the rat farm study that they did? No. They did this uh, thing with rats. They did a they did two studies. They did one study where they took rats. And they gave him uh, water that had heroin and cocaine in it. I talked about it the other day with Michael Pollan. He explained Mm -hmm. it. And this study, they showed that the rats, when you you lock them up in this little cage and you give them water that has heroin or cocaine in it, that they don't even eat, they don't breathe, they don't do anything. They just keep hitting the cocaine and keep, keep hitting the heroin, and they wind up doing that until they die. And so this other guy came along and said, okay, but... This is a completely unnatural environment that these animals are living in. They're living in a cage. They're getting stared at all the time. So he decided to make a really big cage, like the size of a room, and he filled it up with trees. And it's, it's, a, it's called a rat park study. And he made a really big room, and he, he made it, like, real fun. He put toys in there, and he put these other rats in there and plenty of food and brush and trees and shit and stuff to hang out in. And he also put regular water and then he put the water that has the heroin and the morphine, or and the cocaine. And they barely fucked with the water with the heroin and the cocaine. They touched it a little bit and went back to work. And they went and played and hung out. And sometimes some rats did it more than others, but none of them just did it until they died. And none of them did it and didn't breed and didn't like hang out That's and eat food. They were living in an unnatural environment where they're under, under extreme stress. Like imagine you, you don't have a language. Right, you're an animal that's supposed to be living free out in the world, right. and then all of a sudden you're in this weird box under fluorescent lights, and you got a cage, and then the only pleasure is this cocaine, and so you just yeah, you just keep hitting that cocaine because we're, your life sucks. We're the same. Yeah, I, I, I was reading something about the uh, about people that came back from Vietnam and how they after that after they surveyed or, did, or studied them, they found out that it wasn't. Everyone that was on heroin was a dope thing when they came back. It was the people that came back to loving environments where they had like support and family, family and love. Yep. They were fine. They'd stop doing heroin. In fact, they said that 95% quit. 95%. Yeah. Only 5% kept doing heroin after they came back from Nam. That's crazy. Right. And then you got to yeah. think about 5%. Maybe that 5% are the, the people that saw the most shit. Is that um that lighter out of juice? No, no, no. Is it? No? Yeah, it's good. I thought I was about to die. No. That was good? Okay. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's that's what, how it is with people, man. Like, we don't want to live in a, a horrible way where we have no love and we have no community and no friendship. I mean, we see those people on 6th Street, right? Down yeah. the street from Vulcan at that homeless center. I would do drugs, too, if I lived there. Yeah. Uh, every time I got the chance. Yeah. I mean, I got somewhere to, to live, and I still get so low sometimes I've, where I'll be like I gotta get high or drunk or something yeah. you know so it's like I, I, let them get high that's the least of our problems everybody needs community everybody yeah so, so for, for me being scared to, to legalize drugs because you don't want people to completely do it it's, it's almost like like you said if, if, we cre- if, if we created a world that people didn't want to escape from then it right. would just it would be like doing drugs would just be like going to the amusement park it's like right. we're doing heroin this summer you know we're shrooming with grandma and that's possible, man. That's not, it's not impossible. It's just people are so greedy. People are so greedy and there's a, a lot of incentives in being greedy and not a lot of incentives of establishing like really beneficial communities for all. 
But if they looked at it the right, like if our government looked at it the right way, if there was less crime and less less distressed people and less fucked up people, you'd have to spend less money because you'd have less hospital visits, less prison money, less you'd have less crime, you'd have less everything. You'd have a better environment. You'd have a more loving community. Yeah, it's possible. I don't know, Just, man. We I, need mushrooms. I wish I. I wish I. Do you think it's likely though? Do you think? It, do you think it's because I feel like, like you said, we we live in a world now where most people are you're you're almost incentivized to be your worst self. I don't know about that. No, really? nah, I don't think so. I don't think you're incentivized to be your worst self. I think the problem with being your worst self. Remember, we were having this conversation last night without me- mentioning any names about um, comedy. Is that comedians need community we need each other and the comics that we know that are the most miserable they don't have any comic friends they're all real selfish and they don't support each other and they're all out there on their own and they think that somehow or another hey it's fucking me against the world they have that that sort of attitude but it's not you against the world because even if you win say if, if, if it's if you really think like that it's you and fuck everybody else right the problem is then you're out there on your own and even if you make it you're lonely you're lonely. You have no, you have no companionship. It's miserable. You also have no colleagues. Like one of the best things about comedy is colleagues. Like when we were talking shop last night before the show. We're talking about bits, like changing bits and right. altering bits. And you know, Tony had a bit, and I gave him a tagline to it. I'm like, oh, I can't wait to see you do uh, that bit. Right, right. You know, it's exciting, man. Watching each other succeed is exciting. It's fun. It's yeah. part of the fun when you have friends and you love them and you see them kill. That's part of the fun of That's this the all. That's the best shit. It's the best shit. Yeah. When it's your friends get Netflix specials like Brian Simpson. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. They, uh, they're they announcing it today. We're, I'm on the- We didn't know that we could talk about it. We were going to try to dance around it. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they, they gave me the green light. No, yeah. they, um, Did you have to ask them for the green light or- no, it just so happened like I forgot to I forgot to check check on it, and then I just they just I just somebody messaged me today. Oh, it was like Yo, synchronicity. The, the uh, they did a press release, but yeah, I'm on the third season of the standups. Listen, you are a funny motherfucker. You made yeah. me laugh hard. You know, Segura told me how funny you are, but uh, you, I love watching someone I have never seen before murder. I love it. It's one yeah. of my favorite things because I don't know what you're going to say. I don't know what your act is. I don't know what your perspective is. Yeah, so awesome it's, feeling. it's pure. It's yeah. like I get to be an audience member. I don't know shit about you. I just know you come highly recommended and I saw you. Uh, the first time we worked together was only a few weeks ago. You fucking murdered. It was fun. It was very exciting. Yeah, it's it's wild too for, for like Segura. Because like, I mean, that's a perfect example of what you were talking about. It's like, he saw me be funny somewhere, like a few years back, four or five years ago, and he was like, "Oh, dude, I need to introduce you to everybody. Like, you come, come on, come do my podcast, come on the road with me. Like, everybody needs to know how funny you are." Yeah, just off that. Yeah, you know, I I ain't know him at all before that. That's what we do, man. Yeah, and and when I, if like if you don't got that, that's that's gotta that's gotta be miserable. Well, it's bad for the business. First of all, if you're a comic and you, uh, first of all, everybody got into comedy because they love comedy. Right, we all get into it, and who could help comedy more than other comedians? You can help. You can like if someone likes you, and they go, "Oh, Brian Simpson, I'm a giant fan. He's hilarious, and he's real honest, and he's a cool motherfucker." And then Brian Simpson says, "You got to listen to Ian Edwards. That fucking dude is hilarious." And then people are gonna go, "Oh, okay, I'll check out that guy now." And as long as you don't boost anybody up who sucks, 
That's a problem. Well, that's a, yeah, that's the hard. That's, that's the a tough problem. Part. I'm done. You done with this? I'm gonna put this down. Yeah, yeah. I'm too high. I can't think. But as long as you don't boost anybody up who sucks, the audience is always gonna trust you. And you know, I mean, this uh, different tastes. Some people don't like certain things. Some people like other comics more than they like this one or that one. It's fine. That's part of being a person. But the point is, we all got into this because we love comedy. So we should help each other. But the old days were like famine thinking. Everybody thought that if you made it, like all of a sudden, if I look up and now Brian Simpson is selling out Madison Square Garden, I'm like, fuck, that should be me. That's nonsense. Uh, That's how they think. Like people were thinking in a way where if someone did really well, somehow or another that was bad for them. It's just famine thinking. That's all it is. Yeah, well, and that's not. And the, and maybe there was some merit to that back then. Back but, then, but now there's there's no there's no certain number of spots. No, you can make your own way. You can mm -hmm. have your own fans. And if you open up your own club, and you start selling out every night, that's great for everybody. Then more people are gonna come. Yeah. It's great for everybody, dude. I, when I lived in Boston, and this is in the 1980s, there was. On one block on Warrington Street, there was Nick's Comedy Stop, which had three rooms running simultaneously. I'm talking on the same block, like not even 200 yards away was the Comedy Connection. Like you could literally run there in less than a minute. Oh, wow. The Comedy Connection's right there. And then the Comedy Connection was below the comedy club at the Charles Playhouse. So there was the comedy connection downstairs, and then sometimes we would work up, Mike Clark had a, a club upstairs for a bit. Then you would go across the street, and it was Duck Soup, which was a real high-end comedy club that Paul Barkley and Bill Downs put together. They were the original owners of the comedy connection. They said, let's do like a super, really nice, high-end, super clean... Turns out not a good idea. Like it's a little too nice. Right. Like, like and they wanted everything to be clean. Like comedy's got to be. You got to have dinginess, little I cement floors. I refuse any gigs where it's like you got to be clean. They, I don't want to. I'll be miserable. I don't want to do that. They just took a chance. But the point is, you got one room here with three rooms, and then you got another room here. So that's a fourth room. You got above it. You got a fifth room, and then over here you got a sixth room in one block. Six rooms in one block, and then over there you had Dick Doherty's Comedy Vault that was only a block away from that. Yeah, you'll get good fast with that kind of fucking stage. Bro, show. and it didn't suffer. No one suffered. No one was dying. They were all packed every night. And then you go on the other side of town, there was Stitches. Stitches was a great club, too. It was crazy. And that Boston's not that big. It's not an enormous place. No. Like that's that's something that could be done anywhere where it just starts happening. That could have happened. It kind of happened a little bit in on Sunset because you had the Laugh Factory, which always does really well. And then down the street, you got the store. Yeah. And then across the other side, you have the Improv on Melrose, right, right. Well, which is only you know a few miles away. Yeah, you could walk there in like fifteen minutes. Yeah, but yeah. that is what it takes. Like it takes that for everybody, and it's good. And if you look at that period of comedy in Boston, it was incredible. Why do you think those eras end? What hap What happens that cause them to collapse? Because I, I hear that magic. <clears throat> like there's always a, a period like that where this is when it was magic in this city, mm -hmm. and this is when this comic and that comic and this comic came out of there. And then those places always sort of fade. Yeah, the, the, uh, like good most question. of those clubs aren't around anymore, right? Most of those clubs are not all around. I think Nick's Comedy Stop is still around, and the Comedy Connection now Blumenwright, who's awesome. I've been working for him for Bill Blumenwright is uh, the owner of the um, the Wilbur Theater. He's the, okay. he does the Comedy Connection there. He does all my gigs in Boston. And he, when I first started working for him, was like 
1989 or some shit like a long time ago man i've known that dude forever and so he keeps comedy alive with the wilbur because he brings in like big headliners all the time and i think he has another theater now as well so he's he's like a big thing going on in boston and they still have a few clubs there and they got laugh boston which is pretty good but it's just for whatever reason maybe it's going through a little a little dip and then it'll come back strong when I left, man, it was like the guys that were in my era were, uh, it was, I, I left, Nick DiPaolo was before me. So it was like him and um, uh, Mark Marin was before me. They were established and they were touring already. And then um, it was my era, it was like me, and then it was Dane Cook and Anthony Clark. There's a few other guys. I'm probably, oh, Greg Fitzsimmons was with me. That was my era. And then when we left, then it was Burr started taking Patrice. Patrice was the fucking giant. And then they went to New York. And sometimes when comics just leave, it's hard. if you don't have like a big headliner all the time, like stand up in Boston was dominated by all these big local headliners. There was like Don Gavin and Steve Sweeney and okay. Lenny Clark. These guys were murderers, man. I'm telling you, to this day, some of the strongest sets I've ever seen in my life, and they never left that area. Lenny did. Lenny's the only guy that did. But most of those guys like Sweeney and Gavin, they stayed in Boston. They like it there. They don't give a fuck. They just do clubs in Boston. And I'm telling you, they're some of the best headliners of all time. I'll put, oh, the, wow. I'll put Dom Gavin in his prime up against anybody who's ever lived. He was a murderer, dude. Wow. Like fast-paced, rapid-fire punchlines. Like you would, you would be dying. You'd be holding your sides. You couldn't believe how funny he was. But he stayed in Boston. So for that community, man, the guys, there, a lot of guys left, and the guys who stayed, they just, you know, they got older and older, and maybe they performed less, and right. you know, it wasn't the same. It, and it was also like seeing other guys like go on to do TV shows and having it not happen to you. It's not fun. You know, like some of those guys got some of the recognition, but they didn't get the recognition they deserved at the time because they were local. But to us, the guys who lived in that time, whether it was me, you know, me and Bill Burr and uh, Fitzsimmons, we'll talk about it. To, to us in that time, man, we were so lucky because we got to see top of the food chain stand up that only people got to see in Boston because they didn't go anywhere. Yeah, that's awesome. They were so good, dude. There's guys that were so good. Kenny Rogerson, he was a brilliant joke writer. Brilliant. And they were like the ethics of the town. Like they were always like favored, like writing and creativity and new jokes. It was a great place. It was yeah, a great place. The scene has to have that kind of ethic. It has to have that kind of ethic and it also yeah. has that kind of energy. Because like in Boston, it was like the energy was like, first of all, uh, Steve, there's a great documentary on it when, when stand up stood out by this guy, Fran Salamita, who was a, a Boston comic and he made a documentary about the scene. It's, it's perfect because it's like it all details how Stephen Wright made it out of Boston like uh, and he became huge and everybody was like fuck when's my turn and it was like everybody thought that it was going to happen to them too and a lot of them it didn't right, and right. guys that were as funny as Stephen Wright that's what's crazy they were good dude good wow. you did not want to follow Steve Sweeney you did not want to follow him man he was murderous that's and exciting though it was great it was great yeah. dude I, it was great I love the idea of like I, man it was a great time. It was a great time. Yeah. The level, the level of murder was so high. These guys were killing every night. You couldn't stop them. You they were so funny. It'll end up being that way here. 
It could. It could. Yeah. Or it could be a different thing. You know, it's like what we can do is do the best we can with what we've got right here. And right, yeah. we got here. Now that Segura's here, Tim Dillon's here, you know, I know you're thinking about coming here. Tony's here. We, we can do something here. There's there's a lot of funny local people. Genevieve is hilarious. Yeah, she's, she's powerful. She's yeah. and she's a fanny pack supporter. So <laughs> so I'm with her to the end. I gotta remind me. I have to give her one of mine. Okay. She, I want to. She's, she's got this. Maybe it's part of her charm though. She's that giant whack fanny pack that she wears. She's someone I found out about in this community because of uh, local Austin comics. You know. Yeah. She yeah. did uh, kill Tony, and Tony recommended her. She's hilarious. She's there's, great. there's, we can do something here, man. We can do something here. Could we ever achieve what was in Boston in the 1980s? Fuck, it's gonna be different. No matter yeah, what, it's gonna yeah, be different. Yeah, like but I think we could do our have best. To be exactly that. No, we can do our best. Yeah. But there's a lot of talent here, and there's a lot of enthusiasm for comedy here, and it's, uh, it's fun, man. It's fun. It's fun to be able to just do comedy. Yeah, and the crowd, the crowds are great. They're great. I mean, yeah. I actually get, I get a lot of different kinds of crowds. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's, and I love, I love the fact that everything is, like you said, it's like, you know, the creek's right there and the yeah. right there, mm -hmm. and, and and there's a room across from there, and it's mm -hmm. like that that makes it so much more enjoyable to just go from spot to spot to spot. And then that can be done here. It's one. This is one of the best places to go from spot to spot. It really is. Yeah. Because, um, oh man, these crowds are hyped too. They know something new is happening here. You know, they know that there's a big influx of comics. They yeah. get it. Like when um, I was doing the stub shows with Donnell Rawlings and Dave Chappelle and Mo Ammer and Michelle Wolf, and th those fucking shows were wild, dude. It just it felt crazy. Like they were so yeah. happy that people were there. They were so happy that people were at a show. They were so happy they were just like it. May I'll never forget those times, man, because it was like there was no shows for so long. And when we started doing shows again, everybody was like, I can't believe we're doing this. There was a feeling like, I can't believe we're yeah, doing this. Yeah. I can't it feels, believe it's happening it's again. Like, it feels like extra good. I, like, I, I, extra. I, I was telling the homie, I thought, it feels like the condom popped <laughs> on reality. You know, where you're like, oh, shit, this feels way better than I remember. It's like we had water in our ears. Yeah. And then we shook the water out. Like, oh, my God, this is how I hear. Yeah. yeah. Every, I feel like everyone is more of what they were before. Right. Like if you were a piece of shit before the pandemic, <laughs> you're just your ability to hide it is gone. Right. And if you were a great person, because there's way more love and support, and there's way more like the, the bullshit is also back like an extra. Well, helpless. there's a lot of fear, and fear you could either get love out of fear, or you can get unnecessary animosity and un unnecessary arguments and fights out of fear. Like because it all comes from the same place. Like everybody's reality got shooken up. So your baseline of happiness was lowered for everybody. Everybody got real nervous and weirded out, especially if you have older ones or loved ones who are extremely vulnerable. Like I know yeah. guys who can't leave the house because they're taking care of their mom. You know, I know a guy and he's he got his uh, mom vaccinated. It didn't take, and they did, she didn't. Yeah, she's got an immune system problem, and so they have to like be super vigilant about isolating her. It's a nightmare. It's that's, a nightmare. It's yeah, terrifying. You know, and, you know, they're doing their best and they're getting through it with love and, you know, and they're laughing about it. But everyone's baseline nervousness rose and your base not baseline happiness dropped because we were uncertain. Yeah. So now when people are uncertain, you know, you know how some people get stressed out. Everyone, when they get stressed out, your temper, your temper uh, is shortened. Your, your, what, what takes, 
what, how long your wick is, how long it takes for you to get upset is shortened. Yeah, and and Americans are we we're particularly not used to uncertainty when it right. comes to certain things, you know, especially where we feel like things could have been handled could have been handled better. That's the thing where people start freaking out about, like why wasn't why weren't we more prepared for this? Why didn't we handle this better? Why didn't we shut that down quicker? Why didn't we do? There's all these what ifs or why didn't we after things happen? It's it's insane. Yeah, like, so everybody's freaked out. You know what's, re what's really insane is when you find out when you look back and do the research. This we did the same thing during the 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 Spanish flu. During the Spanish flu, yeah. all the same precautions, the masks, the keep the distance all that shit mm -hmm. we we don't have any better response to this kind of shit than we did 100 years ago yeah well i just really hope that people come out of this with at the very least an appreciation for how well we had it and we didn't realize how well we had it because you have to kind of experience something that sucks to realize how good things are that's that's why it's got to be terrible to to not have any adversity in your life it's not good for you it's unhealthy. No. So you can't, like, well, you got to have these little valleys. They make you appreciate the peaks. And this made me, like, I've always been, I try to be an appreciative person, but this last year made me really think differently about, like, the temporary nature of this life. Because this is a mild one in terms of, like, worldwide pandemics. It was horrible for everybody who died, yeah. horrible for everybody who lost family members. But if it was something like, the bubonic plague oh yeah some wild shit that kills like 30 percent of the population you know how insane that must have been like people went through that multiple times in our past with no medicine man yeah. you know could you imagine what it must have been like when uh, just horrible diseases just re like with this one we got yeah. lucky with this one no me not only not only no medicine but not even any idea of what a germ was yes. they thought they thought they were curses yeah they thought they were you know Demons haunting you yes. and shit. Like, so they were even, they weren't even on the right track to even solve your problem. Yes, and if, by me saying we got lucky, I do not demean the deaths of any of the people who died or dismiss them in any way. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying relative to what it could have been, if it was a real one, real crazy one. Yeah, you know, there's there's diseases that killed. You know, Ebola kills like ninety percent of the people. There's diseases like that that are real. There's a there's a video game about what called Plague, yes. Plague Inc. Yeah. You ever fuck with I've this? I've seen it. Yeah, it's I mean it's kind of it's kind of morbid when you think about it, but when you're playing the game it's fun. But you're trying to create a you're trying to create a disease and you give it different characteristics and you're trying to get it to spread around the world as fast as possible. And it's super reality driven. It's like it's like based on what diseases transmit better. The ones that don't kill the host quickly. Yeah. Those are the ones that transmit the best. The ones that kill you quick, those you can contain, and it dies off in an area. Oh, right, right, right. But if that's so, like that game is based on that. It's based on the like a realistic depiction of how viruses best spread. I think there's a couple of those games. And like you, you were talking about like here about the uncertainty is like very rarely does something that's happening everywhere, like it's happening somewhere else in the world, like affect us. Right. You know? Yeah, because like this is we we didn't really have to deal with Ebola. Right. We didn't really have to deal with SARS. We remember when sometimes people would come back with like certain diseases, like you thought someone had the Zika. Oh yeah, remember the Zika? But but I also remember them being like, oh yeah, the government swooped in, they locked down yeah. the whole plane, they got that motherfucker in a bubble in Texas. Wah, wah. But, so it was yeah. even, so that's why I didn't even take the coronavirus seriously at first. I was like, oh yeah, well that's happening everywhere, but it's not gonna happen here. Well, I knew a lot of people that didn't take it seriously till I had Dr. Michael Osterholm on the podcast, and he scared the fuck out of all of us. 
He scared the say? shit out of me. I mean, he was just basically saying like how quickly this thing can spread, how contagious it is, and how potentially lethal it it, it is. And his uh, estimations of how many people were going to die in America were were he was um, probably being extra cautious, and it didn't turn out to be that number. But it scared the fuck out of everybody. It scared the fuck out of me. Yeah, I know was, that it was the number. Like it was terrifying because we like I remember. Like once I was like, oh, it's here, it's here. Then, then I got once I knew it was here, I got scared because I was like, now that they're telling us the truth, that means they've been lying for six months. Whenever the government starts being like upfront about shit, it's mean that's how I feel. Like they've been keeping shit from you. I know what you're saying, but I think in this case, this is a particularly unusual case. Why? And because um, the the government in, in China was not being honest about um, <clears throat> about. A lot of the uh, what either they didn't know yet or they weren't being honest about how it spread like one of the things they were saying initially the World Health Organization was saying that it doesn't spread from human to human do you know that like in the very oh, no. early days of the pandemic no. what when was that when they thought it there, it didn't spread from person to person there had to be like November it was really really early on yeah. so my point is there was a lot of confusion. So the government might not have been lying in the beginning. They might have not no, no, not they might not have fucking known. Because you gotta think the government is, doesn't have like early access to the science. If the scientists themselves are fucking this up, oh, right. they might yeah. not know what this is. If they're getting lied to, if someone is saying, like, hey, this definitely didn't come from our lab, and they're like, okay, shit, we have to figure out what the fuck this is, right? They they probably had to look at a lot of possible options and Somewhere along the line, they got a lot of stuff wrong, right? They they thought that it didn't transmit from human to human. At least someone said that early on. Who said yeah. that, Jamie? Do we know yet? I don't remember hearing that, but I think it was a World Health Organization thing. But like super early on. So if you read that early on, and like you're a guy who works all day, you're not paying attention to shit, you know, and you're like, yeah, I heard the World Health Organization said we got to stop being worried. It doesn't even spread from person to person. Then a couple weeks later, you're like, no, 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 no. it does. It does. Easy. Quick. Spreads through whole countries. Yeah, I think they were trying to do what we did with the Spanish flu. We were trying to wait until it spreads. Here enough. it is. An infamous WHO tweet saying there was no clear evidence COVID-19 could spread between humans was posted for balance to reflect findings from China. God damn it. What a cycle. So this was April of 2020. So that's, you know... That's early on, man. No one, no one knew what the fuck was going on. So they, apparently, the tweet soon proved wrong as a symbol for WHO critics of how it mishandled and downplayed the pandemic. But again, who's giving them information? And how, how does it, when it gets to the government, where's it coming from? Okay, does it Chinese scientists straight to the, the media? Probably not. Hell no. Probably Chinese Absolutely scientists, not. the Chinese government. Right. The Chinese government decides what to say and what not to say, right? And so then the American government has to figure out what to say too. Like there's a lot of shit going on and a bunch of people are dying. Like people have to realize that the people running the government are not that much different than you and I. They're just people. Yeah. So it, imagine it, it a job like, like a that. Well-oiled machine, either. right? And there wasn't even a wasn't there some sort of a reduction in the pandemic response department yeah. that people were complaining about, right? Wasn't there something? I think Trump got rid of the whole team. Either that they absorbed into something else. Yeah. I don't. I don't remember what the. I'm, I don't want to quote that. So, but 
I do remember that no one had ever seen, no, like no one in our lifetime has experienced anything like this before. The thing about a pandemic is, like one these 100-year ones, like the Spanish flu and then COVID, it's like, you don't, you've never experienced it. No one's ever experienced anything closely, nothing to it. There's been a few flus that were real, real bad, a few diseases that broke up, but there's nothing that went through the whole country like this. So to, to say that they should have had a, a fucking rock-solid response for some man-made virus that spreads like the breeze. Like, can you imagine... I can't imagine being somebody in a in any other country, and once they seen it fucking with America, they were like, "Oh, this is like this is gonna fuck us up." If, yeah. it, if it fucked with them, yeah, yeah. If the richest people can't stop it, but a surprisingly small number of rich people have died from it. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of rich people have died. No, from you COVID. Don't think so no, nah. Rich nah. fat people. There's oh well. I mean, I feel like if you—that's ri- the big one, right? That was seventy-eight percent of um, all the the mortalities, or yeah. or the um, the ICU patients for COVID were people obese. that were obese. Yeah. Wow. I guess that's not surprising. Something that puts a strain on your heart. It puts a strain on your whole system. You yeah. know, being um, being someone who's dealing with something like that, you want to you want your body <clears throat> as absolutely healthy as possible. That's part one, yeah. my biggest problem with all this shit. I feel like being obese kind of makes everything harder to. Yeah. Like, I don't know any obese old people. You know anybody that's like 70? I've seen a few. That's like obese? I've seen a few, and they usually like need walking assistance and shit. You know, their yeah, joints are like destroyed. Four, four devices installed <sighs> to keep their heart just pumping. Just to stay alive. That, that's a weird thing, right? The desire to just keep it pumping, even if you're in agony and you're miserable all day. Nah, take me the fuck out. Ooh. I'm saying it right now. If I if I'm I, I want my do not resuscitate, I'm, I'll get a tattoo if I have to. Imagine play. if you get resuscitated while you're in heaven. You're like you're up there. Finally made. This is amazing. <laughs> made it. Heaven's perfect. Oh my god! Why was I wasting my time with ego and life? And then all of a sudden, they jolt them clear, and you get sucked back down in your fucking shitty job. Did you watch the movie that just happened in? I thought you were explaining it. That just happened in a movie I watched like two nights ago. Shut the fuck up. Ethan Hawke. It's called 24 Hours to Live. It's by the producers of John Wick. It's a silly action movie, but that literally happens in the movie. That's hilarious. (laughs) What if if you get resuscitated? That is so funny. You get resuscitated back out of heaven. Thank God you told me because I got to turn that into a bit. (laughs) Wow. That's exactly the premise? Like he's in heaven and he gets resuscitated? 100%. That's hilarious. You you get resuscitated and then then the time you're alive again, you, you make the fuck up that keeps you out of heaven? Ooh. I, I like the I like it going fucked up. All right, right. You get in like a fight with your girlfriend's ex boyfriend, you kill him. Right. Then you gotta you have wind some up kind going of, to hell. You gotta kind of some, get some kind of heaven lawyer to like plead <gasps> your case. Yeah, and maybe it's not even your fault, but you did commit murder. Yeah, but you committed murder in your second life. Is that in the movie too? So he's a special forces guy who's like a piece of shit because he kills people all over the world, and then yeah. like an gets accident happens, lady brings him back. And he's got 24 hours to live to like make things right. But oh. without spoiling the movie, there's other shit that happens. Make things Who's, right for who? Ethan Hawke. Ethan Hawke's the main guy in the movie. Ethan Hawke was in that really interesting fucking time movie that I liked. What the hell was that called? Gattaca? Yeah. No, no, no. The Looper. More, the more recent one. Oh. There was a more recent one. Um, God damn it. It's a really Sorry. recent Ethan Hawke movie. I'm trying to remember. And, and basically, he has this device. And he, Predestination. Uh, spo- yes. Oh, I don't, don't want to give any of it away because it's such a twisted up plot. It's like, yikes. It's really crazy. Like, nothing I've ever seen before. But it's interesting. Like, it's really well done. 
it's uh, fun. You know, you have to do a little suspension of disbelief, but same. it's a time travel movie. Same, same with this. That's what's Time travel is a crazy idea, man. The idea you need to go back and do it right. But I mean, it makes sense in some ways. Like if something horrible happens, you made an accident, you did something wrong. But for regular mistakes, like you like to be able to go back and just correct regular mistakes. Mm. I don't know, man. I, you need those mistakes to teach yeah. you. Yeah, if you, because that's how you really. That's how you really learn shit, like in your in your spirit, in your yeah. DNA, yeah. is your mistakes. You know, you nobody can just tell you. It's, it's like when people. It's like it's like when people want. It's like a there's a difference between knowing the recipe and baking the cake. You know what I'm saying? Right. Some people can't. They they could memorize the recipe, but they can't cook for some reason. You can put the instructions right in front of them. We were talking about this last night that I said life. I, I don't, I'm not a surfer. Let me just qualify this real quick if I fuck up the lingo for any surfers. Life, in a lot of ways, is like a surfer riding a wave. Because if you watch a surfer riding a wave, it's very rarely flat and perfect. It's always these like wobbles and corrections. Yeah. You know, it's like staying on balance, but it's not this. It's not this smooth, straight escalator path. It's got. A, there's a lot, a lot of shit going on. That's your life. Your life is like riding a thing that's constantly changing and moving along with your the way you feel your your moods your 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 life situation you know how work's going how how your life is going how your friendships are going it change they change and shift things move they move with how the directions that you go uh, whether or not you exercise discipline with your your body and your mind and and whatever you're trying to do for a living, whether or not you really get after it, we get satisfaction out of that. Like it all always moving, man. You know, people want for some reason they want this feeling of steadiness. They want everything to be sort of locked in and steady. And I'm just like, uh, you know, this is where I'm at and this is where I'm going. I got it all, but that's not life. Life is yeah. a fucking wild ride. Trying to feel, trying to feel. People want to feel safe. Yeah, they, they want to feel, feel stable. You can't feel stable too much. It's not good for you. You got, you no. got to use those balancing muscles. Yeah, you need a little chaos. You need a little chaos. Yeah. You need some chaos. You need also like, you know, you need moments to teach you how valuable some of the stuff that you have that you really truly love is. Like your friends, like your family, like the people that you see and you can't wait to hug. You know, that's his. This is what our life is about. Our life is about these fun moments that we can share together, and you can make more of those. The can, unknown. Yeah. But I don't. I mean, that's, I'm, that makes me kind of a hypocrite because I, I don't like surprises. <laughs> I don't want a surprise party or surprise gifts or none of that shit. Really? Fuck no. Surprise parties. No. Imagine I mean, if you had plans. Like you, you, you were gonna go home and you were gonna tell her I gotta leave because I got in two hours. And you were thinking, how do I phrase this? Because I definitely want to yeah. go see my friends. <clears throat> Surprise! Yeah. Like, oh my god, I'm locked into a party. Well, it's happened to me a bunch of times where I, where, <laughs> I, where I have to, because when people force it on you, you have to choke down the fact that you're upset about it. Right. You know. Right. Yeah. You have to pretend. Because you know, sometimes you tell people, "Hey, I don't want a gift or anything like that," and they, and in their minds, they're like, "He wants a gift." You know what I mean? Let's just get him a gift. He'll be fine. It's like, no, I really don't want your fucking gifts. I don't want a surprise party. I, I mean, I'll, I'll take gifts and I'll take a party, but I need to know what's coming. Right. Yeah, don't surprise me. I don't like getting caught off guard, you know. I'm not I'm not I'm not going to be like an asshole about it and be like everyone get the fuck out of the house. 
you know, I'm gonna be at the party, but I'm but I would just know the whole time I would rather be doing something else. Yeah, you would like to know when you're partying. Can I give a schedule when my partying begins? Yeah, because I don't I don't have the energy for a surprise. You know what I mean? <laughs> like I but I budget my energy for the day. And so if if I if I'm walking in the house at the end of the day, I've, I'm I'm over I'm over people. Right. You yeah. hit E. Yeah, I I can't I can only stand people for so long, and 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 that and that depends on who they are. Right. So, yeah, surprise party at the end of the day? No, that's that's my own personal. A hell. nice way to look at it is everybody needs alone time. It's not even that you yeah. don't stand people. It's like you're you need a balance of people time and alone time. That's what it is. And if you oversaturate one or the other, things get weird. You oversaturate your alone time. You get too much alone time and not enough people time, you get a little desperate for people time. Yeah. And if you've got too much people time, not enough alone time, you get desperate for that alone time. So you get a little anxious. Was perfect, my perfect scenario is me all alone with the option of people. Like there's mm. people up there somewhere and if I want to be around people I can go up there. Right. But I but I'm completely isolated over here. That's why people like New York City. Why well, I thought aren't there people everywhere all the time? They leave you alone if you're in your apartment. You're in your apartment, you're alone. You want to go outside, there's people out there. Oh yeah. But you're in your apartment, you're alone. But you want to go outside, it's easy. People everywhere. And then yeah. you come back all the time. Yeah. I have friends that are very socially odd that really enjoy Manhattan. They like that life. Oh, that might be for me. I haven't visited. I haven't you been there so? before. Yeah, like I need that. I need to be alone. Like I, my dream place is like me in the middle of fucking nowhere. Do you like the wilderness? I, okay. The 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 true answer is yes, but all the things that come with that yes aren't aren't true. Like I, I would love to be in the wilderness, but I'm not a outdoorsman. Right, you know what I'm saying. But if if I could somehow make it so I live out there and somebody drops off fucking food meat and sh- just from a helicopter or something, like does somebody does all the hard shit for me, chopped wood, you would be into that. Oh yeah, I, I'm I'm in the idea of being away from society. So if they just came by with chopped up wood already, yep, you know, and I leave once every two weeks, they drop off a package of chopped up wood. Yeah, and in my in my fantasy. There's no money involved. It's just like I give them ten chickens, or like it's just like old school <laughs> shit, where ch- chickens are fucking currency. You know. Hey man, during the pandemic, the, we, we realized also that like food runs out. Remember the beginning where you can go to the grocery store, there was no meat, and you'd be like, "What the fuck? There's no meat." Oh yeah. Remember no, that? No meat. No yeah. da- No milk. No eggs. No anything good, and you know, for small supermarkets at least, or people that weren't prepared. So a lot of people started thinking about like growing gardens, foraging for food, hunting, fishing, like fishing licenses, hunting licenses. I guarantee you they went up oh, yeah. during that time. Let's find out, did uh, hunting licenses, did more people purchase hunting licenses during the pandemic? I bet they did. I bet the number went up considerably because people started really thinking like, oh my God, if there is no food, I don't know how to hunt. I don't know how to get my own food. Like, what do I, what do, I yeah. do? Like <laughs> tomorrow I need a meal. Dude, I'm so dependent on society. Oh <laughs> on like a society existing. Yeah. Yeah. Brian, I don't think that's good for any of us. That's what I think. I think one of the things we, we were talking about, like where things got locked down, how weird it was. Well, remember when the supply chain was cut off and we realized all the medicine is made in China? You're like, what? And we couldn't get shipments? Oh, yeah. Remember, for, like, there was a long time where it was hard to get, like, anything that was shipped from overseas. So you realize, like, we don't, oh, we don't make anything anymore. 
Like we we we're not self sufficient. We we are very much like a dude in an apartment in this country. Like there's someone yeah. out there that's growing all the shit, but we're not growing anything. Like there's if that no one out there is doing anything for you. If they're not making the cars or making the medicine or making the this or making the that. If too much stuff is made somewhere else and you're not self sufficient, like the United States should be like a prepper. Okay, we should oh. we should have our own generators. We should have our own food. We should have our own medicine, and we should we should be well armed. This is we we should lock this thing down like a prepper, fix it, fix it and lock it down. See, I'm hope I feel what you're saying because that it's <laughs> it's absolutely true. Like not having very many survival skills, not good. It's not good. But I but but I also think that you just you don't have to be. A, a survivalist you just have to have something to contribute because we're going to band like if society falls we're going to band together in the tribes or whatever it's like and you just got to have something to offer the tribe i don't I, I would still be a comic i don't think it's that easy here's why it's not that easy if society falls apart let's imagine that there's a solar flare again remember i'm a moron so if i get any of this stuff wrong i'm just guessing how this would work okay. if there's a solar flare that blows out the grid apparently that can happen Oh yeah. Apparently a solar flare strong enough could kill our entire power grid. So there's no power in the whole country. How long does it take to get the power back on after a solar flare blows it out? And then what if there's another one right after and then another one right after? And what if like a lot of people start starving to death? What if it, within like six months the power's still not back on and you've got how many million people living in LA? Think of that crazy place. Oh, it, but it wouldn't even take that many. It wouldn't take that right, long. It wouldn't take that long. But how do those people get food? Imagine if the power, because of that, just keeps shutting off. It keeps going out. Imagine if there's a sea, like a storm of uh, solar flares. Like they have one, and then a couple weeks later, there's a bigger one, and there's another one. They can't, there's no power grid, and everyone's freaking the fuck out, and all your electronics are useless. How long? How long can you feed yourself? This is not a, a, an impossible oh. scenario. The thing is, it's, we look at what's possible based not on history we look on it on the history of our own life we don't accept threats as being meaningful and real that we haven't personally experienced that's why people are so nonchalant about war that's why people are oh, so, right, so right. nonchalant about <laughs> we're talking about when tony was talking about people getting shot last night like the people are so nonchalant that I've never seen someone getting shot. Talk to someone who's seen someone that's gotten shot. They're not that nonchalant about this shit. Yeah, it's, it's we intense. don't. We're not afraid of things that we haven't personally experienced. We feel like they're not real, and that's how I think a lot of people feel about natural disasters. Yellowstone can go at any moment. At any moment, yeah, isn't there like an ultra volcano or some shit, like a yeah. super volcano right right in the middle of the country? At any moment, it could go. I mean, it probably Bro, won't. I think about that shit all the, all the things that could kill us. A rogue black hole. A fucking gamma ray burst. That's, yeah. the, that's the scary shit. Oh, my God. Because a gamma ray burst would just finish us. Do you know what they used to think gamma ray bursts were? What? They used to think they were alien wars. Oh, yeah. That makes perfect sense. When they first started yeah. measuring, I forget what the tool was that they used. There was an amazing documentary that I used to love to watch high as fuck on gamma ray bursts on hypernovas and gamma ray bursts and that these hypernovas would uh they when they exploded they would just wipe out whole solar systems just boom yeah everything gets wiped out and so we were observing not we obviously scientists were observing for the first time the uh, they could measure these bursts happening in the sky and they were happening all the time 
because the universe is so fucking big. And so they're like, oh my God, there's a war going on. They thought there was a war going on in space. It, well, it's terrifying. Because, I mean, it, it would have to be aimed at us. Yes. But it, it could be. It, it, the chances are small, but it's like they, rare things. There's so, there's, it's yeah. so big that rare things happen all the time. Well, we, we know that a lot of those chances are small shit has already happened here before. You know, when they figured out that this giant chunk of rock and steel and iron, or iron rather, and dirt that slammed into the Yucatan that killed the dinosaurs, once they figured that out, man, and then they realized like, oh, wow, like, this could happen. This could happen at any time, and there's not shit you could do about it. And it's happened like four other times, right? Many times. We don't yeah. even know how many times. We don't know. Yeah, we can't. We really don't know. They think the most recent ones were probably around 12,000 years ago. They think that's the end of the Ice Age. It's uh, called the Younger Dryas Impact Theory. Yeah, somewhere. Well, the, the theory is, and this is uh, the proponents of this theory are this guy Randall Carlson. He's one of the big ones, and Graham Hancock, and a few other guys that are just obsessed with the timelines of historical, uh, like the, the historical timelines of like civilization. And was there civilization that was advanced that was knocked down to nothing that had to restart up again? And one of the things that they've concluded from a bunch of different factors, a lot of them like soil samples, like they do a core sample of the earth and they find out like at different levels what the temperature was and what, okay. you know, what, and at certain, uh, a certain depth, which indicates somewhere around, I think it was like 11,000 years, they find a lot of this nuclear glass stuff. And this, uh, I think it's called tritonite and that's from impacts from things. So they got nailed in some crazy asteroid shower. And it's all around the world around the same time. And that is the end of the Ice Age. And they think that those impacts probably wiped out a shitload of people, destroyed civilizations, might have been the end of Atlantis. There's all this like crazy speculation about what happened back then. You know, that, that maybe Atlantis was actually a real place. Maybe society was pretty advanced, you know, for people that didn't have machines but still had stones and they had crazy structures that they had built out of stone. Like all the shit they did in Egypt and all that kind of stuff, that was all way before that, right? That was all way before 10,000 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't think about that. Well, not that stuff. The, the, the stuff in Te Gobekli Tepe was way before that. That was like 2,000 years earlier. The Egypt stuff, they don't really, this, like the pyramids are only like uh, 2,500 BC or something like that. That's not even that long ago in comparison to some of this other stuff. So what their, their thought is that there was some advanced civilization and that 11,000 years ago, it got almost wiped out and then they rebuilt. So all the stuff that we recognize as being like the first civilizations, or maybe they weren't. Maybe they were first civilizations after this great reset that happened yeah. from be getting smashed by rocks from the sky. It's fascinating well, shit. It's, it's Randall Carlson does an amazing job of describing it. It's we're gonna destroy ourselves, or something's gonna destroy us. Yeah, we uh, we're not gonna last, man. It it just seems there's so many things that want to kill us. There's so many chances. And then we're killing ourselves at the same time. Well, and, and then we have different countries that are competing for dominance. Like, if that doesn't freak you out, when you watch countries compete for dominance, that never ends well. <laughs> like, when does that end well? I don't know. I, I, it doesn't end well, man. But that's what we need, though. We need a, we need a, like, I want us to colonize. I want Elon to colonize Mars so we have an enemy, you know, because that's, that's the only time we accomplish it is when there's a rival. That's, how, that's when we're at our best. What if Mars would make the perfect world over there and some 
guru takes over and decides that we really have to destroy Earth because it's like we got to destroy Earth and we have a, a chance to repopulate it again in 100 years. We're going to just kill everybody that lives there and try it all over again and terraform with less people, but Mars people, because Mars people are superior. And th and that's a, there's a, and there's an Earth-Mars war? Yeah, Earth-Mars war. What side, are, what side am I on? You're on Mars. I know you are. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm on Earth side. Yeah. Fuck out of here. I mean... Well, I, I guess it depends on. I, I'm not above. I'm not above being a planet trader or whatever. That was. That's probably what would happen. There would probably be a revolt, and Mars did, would not want to be a part of Earth anymore. They'd oh wanna, yeah, they'd want to be their own colony. Well, first of all, they would be. They would be mad because this happened. I don't know if you ever watched that show, The Expanse. I, I watched a few episodes of the first but, season, but, but it, it's it's my favorite sci-fi world it's it, very well done it's, yeah it's it's well done it's and it's 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 kind of like that where the because there's also the belt there's, there's mars earth and the belters right and basically the it got to the point where we had to send oxygen to the to to these places and so mars was colonized first and then the belt and we but at in the at the time of the show we're we're at we're not at war with mars but they've they separated from earth because we did the same thing to them that we're doing to the belters and we would, because they needed us to send them air. So when the workers like went on strike, we just cut off the air. Oh, Jesus. You know, it's that kind of shit, because we needed them to send us back like precious gems and shit from the belt. And whenever they went on strike, we, we were just like, okay, well, we, we, we can't send air out there. And so once they figured out a way to make their own air, or they got to the point where that shit was fully developed on Mars, they were like, fuck Earth. You know? Wow. So they're our rivals in the system, and then the, the belters are like terrorists. Well, I need to get deeper into the show then. Oh, it's great! It's amazing. But I was—I I think I've watched two episodes. I liked it a lot, though. It's um, it's very unique. It's yeah. really well done, and it's also very plausible. Like yeah. if what you laid out, like if Mars really did become its own functioning planet, if they really did have their own air, they really did have their own yeah. civilization. Like, why would they listen well, to us? Once they weren't dependent on us anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, also imagine because you know how it's going to end up happening. Somebody going they're going to settle on Mars, and then Mars is going to get that point to where they're self sufficient. But and so then it's like, who runs Mars? Was it the, was it the person that paid for the trip? Who's not? Who doesn't even live on the planet? Like and can't enforce any of their authority? Right. So so is it their shit? Is it the people that have that settled the shit? You know, it's like who does that shit belong to? And so eventually, it's going there's going to have to be a rebellion. It's like the same thing what happened between. United States and England, right? They sent us over here to be a colony, and then after a while, I was like, "We don't, we we ain't even connected to y'all. We're not giving you a fucking money." Right. It's like it's it's gonna happen because we you need the you need the they need Earth for support at first. Imagine if Mars is the new America, but they do it right. Like they just rebel. They rebel from all the bullshit and corruption. They go, okay, we have to figure out how to do this money thing without the fucking stock market. Like, what are you assholes doing? Manipulating these numbers and moving shit around and buying and selling. And this is what the economy's based on. This is madness. It's totally unstable. It's based on confidence in a lot of ways. Like, get the, like, whether or not things are, I'm really high on this and oh, buying and selling and no, 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 no more of that shit. You're like, well, fuck you, Joe Rogan. You don't know shit about economics. You would be correct. I don't. <laughs> I don't know shit about economics because it's way too complicated. I think if they were going to re-engineer society, they would try to some Bitcoin-type model where it was like no one can control it. There's only a certain amount of it. This is like everybody gets to figure out. 
you have you have way more faith in humanity than me. What do you think? I think the problem is that we're we're just we're inherently shitty and selfish. Right, but we made America because we didn't like England. America's better than England. Sorry, England. Well, that's right? just, that's just a, even they Sorry. have to admit that. Sorry. Yeah. But it's 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 in terms of like the impact on the culture. There's never been a country like America. This is not dismissing amazing works out of Ireland and England and China and Japan and all over the world. There's been great shit that's been done. Don't get me wrong. But the amount of culture influence that human beings have had in this one weird experiment. Yeah. Everyone knows American culture. Yeah. Everyone watches it. That's why British, like you ever talk to British people and they, a British person never asked me to repeat myself. They understand me clearly the first time, every time. Hmm. And sometimes I got to turn on subtitles when there's British people on TV <laughs> because they grow up on our shit. Right. And to, to us, they're, they're like a delicacy. Just like I encounter British shit every now and then. Bro, have you ever talked to people in Dublin? Ireland? Yeah. Oh, yeah. These, they, they, when, when Irish people get drunk, it is the most hilarious form of English. Well, let me tell you something even crazier is Belfast, Northern Ireland. Northern Ireland is even crazy. I talked to a guy in a bar. We were both hammered in Northern Ireland when I went over there for the UFC. I might have understood three or four words he said. I talked to him for well over an hour. He's like, I'll fight any man. I'll fight any man. He just kept saying, I'll fight any man. And I believed him. He was so crazy and just hammered. Why was he, he saying that to wa- you? Because I worked for the UFC. I was over there for the UFC. He's like, fucking chocolate, whoever it is, I'll fight any man. <laughs> he was so convinced, too. Convinced, I'll fight any man. I go, okay, man, you'll fight any man. You know, we're both bombed. That, that, that... I'll fight any man. Somebody gonna whoop his ass one day. Because anybody doing that can't really fight. Yeah, well, or maybe it was just like, I don't know. Maybe I caught him on a bad I'll fight anyone. Was he drunk? Oh, fuck okay, yeah. We okay. were hammered. We were both really drunk. Yeah, they uh, they make you drink over there. If you don't drink over there, you gotta. they're going to have a problem with you. Yeah, they don't trust you. It's like eating. It's like that? eating with Italian people. Exactly. Like, oh, what do you yeah. mean? You what do you mean? You're not hungry? You don't eat. You don't have cheese. What the <laughs> fuck? No cheese at all. Right. Your whole life, like no not, cheese. Not even a little bit. Can you go to a doctor for that? There's a there's a thing that people can take if they have a cheese problem. By the way, it's like a lactate. Yeah, I have a cheese problem. Do you? And that that shit doesn't always work. Lactate doesn't work? Not always. No? I, it, like, I feel like it's just inconsistent, you know? Do you have a cheese? Have you ever tried raw cheese? Raw milk cheese? I don't, no, I don't think so. I'd be interested to see if that it affects you the same way. Yeah, I'll be the guinea pig. How, how bad does the cheese get you, though? Man, it used to be not that big of a deal, but now it's like it's a problem. Really? Yeah, like if I decide to eat cheese, that might, like some shit is worth it. Like if you if you tell me, hey Brian, like this is the best fucking pizza in on the planet, you have to have a slice of this. You take the I'm, hit. I'm gonna do it, but that's gonna be it's gonna be 72 hours of being like I shouldn't eat that fucking cheese. How crazy is that? The we're, we're willing to sell to sell out our future health for the next day <laughs> for, yeah. for a delicious slice of pizza. Think how crazy that is. But <laughs> that's how dumb as shit. human beings and our impulses. You're gonna sell out. Your your good feelings for the next twenty four hours to whatever for yeah. a piece of pizza. It's a lack of discipline. That's what it is. It, but it's also it's so good. Like there's there's something about if your whole life 
could be what it feels like when you're really hungry and you bite into a delicious slice of pizza for the first time. If that was your whole, that feeling, that's an amazing feeling. You can't dismiss that feeling. No, in the right. moment, you can't resist. You can't resist. You just got to take the bites. You got to take the bites. And, and, and don't like, get me wrong. Oh, fuck. Not, not any slice of pizza would do. Right, I wouldn't right, make right. that sacrifice for just a, for like some DiGiorno's. And like right, that. some bullshit pizza. But, but yeah, if you tell me it's this like this, it's a pizza place here that I'm that somebody recommended to me earlier, and I was like, I might, I might risk it all. Oh my god, there was a pizza place that I used to go to. I think it was in Yonkers. It was in either in Yonkers or New Rochelle. I'm trying to remember, but my friend John Tobin to take me to this pizza place, and it was uh, a, just a small little hole in the wall, like a maybe they had four or five booths, and the pizza was insane. It was this pizza with garlic and sausage and cheese, and it had it was like a just it didn't make sense how good it tasted. It was so good. It's, oh, and hot red peppers was on it too. It's the it was best insanity. Food. Bro, it was you, insane. It was know, so um, good. But it was just like weird hole in the wall place. Do you like, know Steve Simone? Oh, yeah. Bro, so right when the pandemic. I love Steve. Like right after we started getting vaccinated, when the, like right when everybody started going on the road, I ended up in Philly and Simone was at the other club and Brad Williams was at another club. And we all decided to meet up the next day and like get lunch or whatever, right? And Simone... He he knows people. I don't know if he's from there or maybe he was there with uh, with Ernst. But somehow he got connected with. He we we ended up going to like a secret pizza place. Like I think it's called Ionelli's Bakery or something. Secret pizza place. Yeah, where it was like you go in here. It doesn't look like an open business. It, like it doesn't look like you would get good pizza here. But but we go in there and they're only open fifteen days a year. That's what he said. They open fifteen days a year. They they sell out as soon as they open. Wow, and the guy. So the guy comes and makes us. He he brings us pizza, and it, and the, this slice of pizza, it was cold, and there was no meat on it. It was just tomato, and he was like, "Try it the way I gave. If you want it hot, fucking fine. But try it the way I gave it to you. It was the best slice of pizza I've ever had. Wow, it was incredible. What what was it like? So it's just a piece of ch no cheese. There's no cheese. Okay, it's just, just the it's bread and the I think tomatoes. It's it tomato pie. Really? Yeah, and it was it was it was it was it was thick. It was like a thick layer of tomato because it was almost like tomato jelly, or I don't even I can't mm. even describe it. But it was incredible. It tasted amazing. Wow, I like. Well, I guess the cold would keep it connected to the bread better, or something. I don't know. I don't know the secret to it. I don't know what it was. But but and I'm not the only one. Everyone was like, we all looked at each other like, what the fuck? Really? Yeah, yeah man. Yeah, it was great. So it's a pizza artist. He's some kind of yeah, some kind of pizza guru. I mean, imagine imagine owning a pizzeria that you only got to open for fifteen days. That's a good move, though, right? If you want to be a legend, you know, you stay yeah. closed for most of the year. Yeah, it's like that sushi place. Yeah. Hey, like, Mikey, where's the fucking pizza? Not till February, Mick. That, Not that, till uh, February. That that uh, that Austin sushi place. Yeah, that, you, sushi that, bar ATX. That place. They only like yo. We serve ten people. Yeah, that's what we're doing. We serve ten people and no more. It, it, it gives it this exclusivity. They have a twenty-five thousand person waiting list. It, I see why. It's incredible. <laughs> it was incredible, man. A lot of shit don't live up to the hype, you know. No, but that lives up to the hype. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. And I, I, lo I love an expert, man. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. I watch somebody that's, I'm fascinated with people that are like, that have dedicated their lives to just anything. I watch a motherfucker lay bricks. Me too. When they just pop, 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 yeah. pop. Like anybody that's like, they're that good, I don't even have to understand it. Right. But watching people do things at the highest level, that shit's amazing to me. So what, going to them and watching these people are obsessed with sushi, like the way we are with comedy. Yeah. And, it, and that, oh yeah, I, I'm going to try that shit, of course. Incredible stuff too, right? So creative. It was like a sports, like at the end, you get to do like extra, like extra bites. And it's basically like you can choose to do some shit you already did or you can let the chefs do choose for you. And they basically get to like open mic their sushi ideas. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, experiment on me, motherfucker. <laughs> God. And them extra bites was better than the than the other shit. Well, the, and their experiments are always going to be awesome. Oh, they know yeah, what the fuck they do. There's an art to that, man, you know? Yeah, to just to to know something's gonna taste good, to have like the palate yeah. and the the sense of smell, it's all in there. Did you ever see that documentary Jiro Dreams of Sushi? Oh yeah, that's yeah. amazing, right? Yeah, motherfucker opened up in the, in the subway. In the subway, the best sushi spot around. It was in the subway. I don't know if that's good anymore though. Somebody uh, sent me a review of the that place that someone that I like went there and said it was like the worst. I forget who who it was. They said it was like the worst sushi they ever had. Was it Andrew Schultz? What? Was it? I was just about to say, I was, was going to start looking for him saying it. It might have been. I yeah, think it was Andrew. Yeah, but the dude's 90 or something, right? <sighs> I mean, first of all, imagine you're this dude yeah, who it is Schultz. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Imagine you're this dude who lives by this samurai like discipline where every day you just make the perfect pieces of sushi and you're not doing it because you want to get famous. You're doing it because you are completely connected to the discipline of doing one thing over and over. And there's a word for it. Is it Kaizen, the Japanese word? There's a word oh, for no. doing one thing over and over. Andrew Schultz. <laughs> Apparently, Jiro dreams of wasabi, a wasabi so potent that it makes his food inedible. I almost threw up two pieces in. The other 17 pieces I consumed were crippling paranoia, oh, with crippling paranoia of that nasal cavity clearing green paste. I would put this, the sushi in my mouth, then hide my gums, hide in my gums like a razor blade in prison. Oh, the whole meal took 24 minutes. It cost $1,000 for the two of us. It was the worst sushi we've had in Japan. I will say this, Jiro and his son had immaculate hands. They were the only parts of their body that didn't age. Also, the tamago and the mackerel were exceptional. Besides that, I do not recommend. I did it so you don't have to. Look at him. <laughs> Man, when was that? Uh, pretty recently. Yes, oh, wow. 2019, August. See, here's my take on that. He's probably correct, but my, my take is, Imagine being that guy and all of a sudden you're famous. Imagine the, the hordes of people that must have come to that place after that movie came out. Because it's a really popular movie. Yeah. It's like the Kurt Cobain of sushi. Yeah. It's like, I no, bet, I don't want it. Well, I really didn't want it. At least Kurt Cobain was getting on stage on MTV. Like, Kurt, what did you think was going to happen? You know, you're going right. to get famous, right? You're, you're singing amazing songs. But he didn't ask to get famous. He was making sushi. So when they decided to do a documentary on this guy, do you think he had any fucking idea what kind of an impact that documentary was going to have on him? No. So it probably affected how he made sushi. It probably affected everything. He's probably like, fuck, I just like, lather that shit on. And, and he's also probably too, like, you know how sometimes you, 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 meet the, you encounter those families where it's like, 
or it's like a family business and it's like it's time for dad to retire but everyone's afraid to, t- to push him out oh maybe so it's like he's probably done he's like 90 95 how or can, how old here's is he another possibility Andrew Schultz being a little bitch and can't handle his wasabi <laughs> well some people yeah. some people because I like wasabi. Some people have a real strong reaction to it. I like it. It's, it's one of those things you either love or fucking hate. I love but it. But I don't know how to, I don't see how that ruined the whole meal. I don't know, man. Maybe it's just being funny. <laughs> yeah. It's, but maybe that was his experience. Well, I mean, some, if but, he would go to Sushi Bar ATX and have a negative review, then I would have like serious well, yeah, suspicions. Yeah, well, because I've had that. I haven't had the hero shit. And it could just be hype, you know, for all the fuck I know. I might not be hype. It might be like that there's different styles of sushi too like and that some people like it a certain way and and you know like if you go to there's you know you have thai food in thailand that shit has a lot of kick to it man you know it's really super duper spicy that's how they like to do it maybe his style of sushi is just not compatible with what we're used to in america i mean i've had some sushi in japan but do they do it the same like italian food is different in italy i'll tell you that how is it better? It's really good, man. Um, I've only been to Rome, um, uh, Florence, um, uh, the Amalfi Coast, and Ravello, and uh, Venice. Those are the only places I've been in Italy. So I've, in those places, all of them had exceptional food. Italians know how to eat, but it's different than American Italian food. Very, very different. Like American Italian food, you think about like red sauce and like a lot of cheese and lasagna, and you think about like spaghetti and meatballs. Over there, you get pasta in like smaller portions. There's a lot of fish. It's a lot of like really delicious handmade pasta. They're amazing steaks. They know how to cook. They they cook steaks over live oaks and shit, live palm. See, I'm trying to go. I'm trying to go to all those steakhouses over there. Oh my god, Florence is famous for their steakhouses. Italians know how to fucking eat. There's a, I think it's called uh, Bisateca di Florentine. It's a Florentine steak. It's a famous kind of steak that they cook in Florence because it's a super thick porterhouse steak. It's like three inches thick, and they cook it always over live wood. So they, they, they'll chop down trees, dry out the wood, and not live wood, but, you know, firewood. Not coals, not like uh, charcoal briquettes. They're cooking everything over wood, and they'll they'll light the wood on fire, let it burn for a while, and then scrape the embers underneath the grill, and they get all this smoke into their meat. Are oh, you talking about like the Argentine shit? Very similar. Oh, very yeah. similar. Very similar. Okay. A lot of a lot of similar qualities to it. Like they raise and lower the the grill with those fucking things. But over there, they make this one style of steak called steak Florentine. It's this giant fat. There's like. I became obsessed with trying to figure out how to do it the right way because I was watching all these chefs do it. Just b- pull up steak Florentine. Yeah, but this is the best Florentine steak. Um, no, I'm saying let pull it up uh, on uh, on YouTube. Sorry, I want to see a video of this because there's a, a lot of these guys cooking these things, and you would think like, how hard is it to? Uh, to cook a steak over fire seems pretty easy, but it's these guys have it down to a science. And when you watch them, you realize like oh, there's an art form to cooking one simple thing. Yeah, it's the simplest thing. To, to me, steak the, the, over fire. Those are the best. Those are the best restaurants. And if you go somewhere where the where the menu is like twenty pages, yeah, that food's bullshit. You, if you go there and they're like, yeah, we make three things. 
That's all we make. This guy's doing it indoors, which makes me call bullshit. Oh, actually, he's not indoors. I think he's in an outside little. Yeah, he's outside. Um, the best ones are doing it though in um, these grills where it's just logs. They're just cooking over logs, and this is how they've done it there for who knows how many hundreds of years. And they've they've really fallen in love with this one particular cut of meat. But that's the thing you learn when you start paying attention to food. Like, there's a bunch of artists out there, man. Even in something as simple as sushi, a piece of fish on a piece of rice. There's fucking artists. I used to live. I used to live in this high rise in uh, in Virginia, and and it was you know sometimes in in those high rise buildings at the bottom floors like a like a like a drugstore bodega or yes, something like that. Yeah. So we had we had a we had a there was a, a drugstore on one side of the building or like a convenience store, and the other side of the building was this Peruvian chicken spot. And all they made was chicken. They ain't mm. make nothing else. They made all you could get was chicken and some weird like potato like shit. And that's mm. it. They ain't give you nothing else. So you and you walk in there and there was a there was a machine about about the third of the size of the wall behind you. And it, or it was like a, a like a giant rotisserie, and the chi- and the chickens were would be on these long lines. So the ones at the top would be dripping juices on the ones on the bottom. Yeah. And so you go in there, and there's like 250 chickens on this big ass wheel, and that's it. And whatever you ordered, they just fucking pluck one of them bitches. And it was the best. Everybody I took there was like, this is the best chicken I've ever had in my life. Yeah. And this is all they do. That's all they do. They'll they'll flip it different ways. They give you half a chicken. They give you a chicken sandwich. But it's not fried. It's just all rotisserie chicken and nothing else. There was a place exactly like this in Calabasas. It was called Chicks. They had built their own wood-fired oven in the middle of this like strip mall. They had this building where they had a chicken restaurant, and like in a strip mall. It's a Starbucks now. Like the oh, bu- shit. the place went under, and it began like they wouldn't take credit cards. They were crazy. They only took cash. Fuck. I, look. See if you can find it. No, you, Chicks, chicken in Calabasas. Bro. They had a giant ass homemade smoker in the middle of this huge restaurant. So they put this, they had this big contraption and they kept throwing logs in there and it's just spinning chicken. Insane. I, I, they I had love it down it, to a science. But, That's but, it. That's the place. But this That's is it. this is one of my buttons. If you don't take if you only take cash, you deserve to go out of business. Yeah. Chicks restaurant closing after thirty years. Yeah, they couldn't keep up with credit cards. Yeah, because because no, because I guarantee you, some old person was like that should have retired, was still in charge, and they didn't get the whole credit card. Listen thing. to me right now, Brian Simpson. If that place was around right now, and I found out they were going under, I would have bought them one hundred percent. Oh yeah, I would have bought them and kept them running exactly. The That's same quite way. the fucking. I would be like, don't change a fucking thing. God don't change damn. a thing. Don't add shit to your menu. You guys have the most insane chicken of all time. They had a few other kinds of sandwiches. Everything was good, but that chicken was off the charts. There's something about cooking things over wood. It just yeah. tastes better. That's why I like those Traeger grills, like pellet grills. That's why they're so good. Because like people are like mm. everybody raves about those pellet grills. Like why are Traeger grills? Why does it make the food so much better? Because it's just wood and fire. That's the only way we're supposed to cook things. The yeah. best way to cook a piece of meat is over fire. If you can, like, oh yeah, like, like not just no, a gap. nobody's disputing that. No, you got no. want actual logs, man. You want little pieces of the wood. Whatever you have, it's got to be just wood and fire. Wood and fire makes everything taste fucking delicious. Dude, I'm about to. When this is over, I'm going get to get barbecue eat. right after this. <laughs>
They I'm know such how to do a it here, motherfucker. Man. They know how to do it here. They do. That's that is something I will say about Austin is the 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 success rate of me going out to try food is like way higher than anywhere else I've ever been. You can't be a bad restaurant here. It's the, the, all the food is good, and sometimes you know you find out the secret ingredient is like where they like we put gravy in our iced tea. That's what <laughs> you know, like that, that's the secret is gravy. And it's like okay, well, I wish I had known that, but goddamn, I is didn't good. know that. If you'd been to Gus's, Gus's fried chicken, no, I didn't know that it was a chain. There's apparently like multiple Gus's fried chickens. Three in LA. Three might, in LA. It might not yeah. be the exact same, but yeah, there's. It might be the yeah. one, but they trick you. Because when you go in there, it looks like an old school place. They figured out a way to make a chain that looks and feels like an old school place. But then they hand you an iPad. Well, you nowhere. look in there. You go in there. It's like uh, you know they have like license plates on the wall and shit like that kind of deal. Right. You know, okay. and, uh, right. like old signs. You're like, oh, a cool old chicken joint. It's probably been around here for ages. Never changed. No, it's a chain. <laughs> oh. But but they nailed it. They 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 the food tastes. Like Gus's fried chicken tastes like it's from some cool little hole in the wall. Like a, a person who's dedicated to making yeah. great chicken. Like it tastes like somebody suffered to it make it. It tastes great. Yeah. They nailed it. They know what the fuck they're doing. But apparently there's a lot of them. But isn't that, like, yeah. why isn't that good? Bro, I wish I could go to all the, like, so many people recommend good restaurants to me here. And every time I go, they're always good. And I don't have time. To, like, one day I think I'm just going to come here. I'm not going to schedule no shows or nothing. Just on a restaurant. I'm just gonna come here and just taste all the food, man. Cause I, I love food. I was at a party over at my friend's house for July Fourth, and I I was taking notes. People were giving me like food notes. You got to go here. You got to go this steakhouse. It's impossible. Go to that place. But it's just like people out here. They want to tell you about spots. You know, like like oh you, y'all don't know about this. You know, there's like yeah. there's so many good but, restaurants. But, that, here. but that's a big one. Like I don't I don't I don't recommend places lightly. Right, because there's no there's no worse feeling than talking your friends into going somewhere. Because because here's the thing, the big thing about a restaurant is not just how good the food is, but the consistency. Yes, because if I go somewhere and have the best experience I've ever had, and then I bring people and it's not the same, I've had that. Happen. That's so embarrassing. I will never come there again. Gus, this is a uh, Tennessee place. How many of them are there? A lot. <laughs> well, wow. whatever the fuck they do, they nailed it. Oh yeah, they even nailed it where it seems like. I tell people that I've taken there that it's a chain. They're like, "What?" There's other locations. Oh my god, there's like a hundred of them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but, let, but they yo, got one show, in L.A. Show Long us the Beach. relevant ones, though. Where's the ones here? Uh, who gives a shit? Is it? Uh, yeah, is there in? Uh, I don't see Austin. It's there. Oh yeah, it's right there. Yeah. Oh, it's down the bottom. But either way, man, I'm telling you, who gives a fuck if there's another hundred of them? The one in Austin is the shit. Yeah, that's what I'm trying that to. That chicken's with. really good. They, I don't know what their secret ingredient is and what their spices are, but man, it's really good. Yeah, it's always something disturbing. I don't want to know. I don't think it's disturbing. No, I don't think so. It's simple. Like they don't have a crazy thick batter. They just nailed it. They just figured out how. To, you know, it's like you're just cooking a chicken. Like, what is the best way to cook a chicken? What's the best temperature? For how long? How do you do yeah. it? What spices do you add? Once you figure it out, it's repeatable. Well, well you know what I f- we know what I'm realizing now. Like, especially, you know, now like that I'm that I'm starting to be a little more successful is like, and I can eat good food a lot, or more often, is it's the little things. Because because I'm like because the other day I was here I had one of the best burgers I've ever had and I was like what is what's different about this burger 
then because we can buy the same shit. But I realize like it's the it's all the little things. Like some chefs, some restaurants, they do all the little things just better than you. Mm. They just to get a little better quality. This, you know, they they're meticulous about how long shit cooks and what it's mm. mixed with, and all the little tiny things that you can just ignore, and, it, and you'll start yeah. you'll still have a good burger. But the people that do all those little tiny things, it 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 adds up to something that's just better than your shit. Yeah, yeah. It's like that sushi. That sushi wasn't. It's not like it was leagues above any other sushi. It's not like they buying different fish than somebody else can buy, but they do all that little tiny shit just to perfection and it, it elevates it. You know, it's more than the sum of its parts or whatever the fuck. You know? Yeah. No, I completely agree. Yeah, teaching the detail is everything. It really is. Yeah, I will get, that's why I, I appreciate that shit. I appreciate some good ass food, you know, and I, I don't need you to describe it to me, but I like that too. I like it when you tell me like, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna char this, and it's going to release, you know, this molecule which crisps the skin. Yeah, yeah. Give, me, give me the describe it to me right when yeah. I'm yeah, yeah. I'm I'm gonna do that one of these days. I'm gonna open a restaurant where we just serve one one fucking thing. One thing. What would it be? Oh, you know what? Just to be different, I would do fries. <laughs> I would do just fries. You know, I think there's a just fries store. Is there? I think there is. Yeah, cause I I had I had some good ass fries one time. They were um they were I forget what the fuck the guy called it, but they were like Dutch fries or or something. But he but he fried them twice. Ooh, yeah he 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 fried them at at a at low temperature, and then froze them. And then when you ordered them, he fucking flash fried them at a high temperature, and it Ooh. it made it like this crisp. It was this this perfect crispy shit, and and the and so it was a perfect texture, and then. He was he was real good at like making sauces, so he had like six sauces for you to pick, oh. and I I couldn't believe this guy was at he was at a cart at a fair, and I was like I can't believe you don't have a restaurant. This is these this is that good. Wow. Yeah, but there's an art to everything. Even yeah. Fries. Yeah, you gotta respect that. Now I feel bad for the people that become experts at something that's bullshit. You know what I mean? <sighs> or something. That's a scary thing in life. I've told this story before, but there was a kid that I knew when I was. Uh, I used to teach people how to lift weights at a Boston Athletic Club, and uh, there was a kid that was a racquetball professional. Hmm. He became a professional at racquetball, and by the way, there's no fucking money being a professional at racquetball. No, sir. So he's winning racquetball tournaments. He wasn't making any money. And he tried to transition into tennis, and it was uh, uh, it was hard, really hard. I don't know if he ever made it, but I remember in the beginning he wasn't making it. And people were really distraught, people that were a part of this Boston Athletic Club community because he was a really nice guy and he was really popular because he was an, an ace professional racquetball player. But the transition was necessary. He wanted to try to make money, so he wanted to try to get into tennis. But if he had just started in tennis, maybe, you know, probably couldn't because economics, you're in Boston, it's cold for five months out of the year. But if you could, you might be an ace tennis player. And then you'd be making millions. So any guy who's a winner, if you're a winner at something physical, like racquetball, I mean, ra- racquetball's physical, professional racquetball, those guys are darting all over the place and diving Why for balls. Why isn't that more popular, though? I don't know, man. Because there's, there's shittier sports where you can make a bet. I, I think, think it's that, hard to watch. That's better than bowling. That's better than, than, uh, than oh, darts. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's not better than pool. Pool's, pool's dope. Well, if you play pool, it's dope. If you don't play pool, it's boring as fuck. 
I love watching pool, Have but you ever I play professional racquetball or like a high level match. Yes. No, it's very fast. I mean, they all look the same. They well, look the same as a low level match. When I when I worked at the Boston Athletic Club in South Boston. They uh, would have them there all the time. They would have all these like high level matches, and they would have guys that were like high level guys practicing against each other. It was wild to see. It's slow. Even it's not it's fast. It's, I, I remember watching them one time. It was just like a lot of because they ace everybody. They're yeah. really good at serving. It's like it's like watching ping pong too. It's like it's really exciting. Come on, man! This second. is exciting. What are you talking about? I don't know. This there's right a, here is like fucking up your theory. There's a reason why it's not on ESPN or there's people on, you know, Twitch and YouTube making highlight videos. I think the reason, honestly, is that not a lot of people play it. I think if a, if a lot of people yeah. played it. See, this is the thing that c brings me back to pool. I don't think pool is exciting for anybody other than the people that play it. But for the people that play it, it's awesome. Like my friend Tommy Jr., I just sent him a video of this guy, Dennis Arcolo, who's like this Filipino killer. He's been like one of the best professional pool players for decades. And against this guy, Shane Van Boning, who's the, the best American pool player. This is crazy race to 120 games. So whoever wins 120 games first, I send it to my friend Tommy. It's an amazing match. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. They're playing 100, no, 120 they're pl games. They're playing up to 250 games of pool. It, yep, uh, up to a possible 239 games. Yeah. For one person. Against each win. other. Against each other, yeah. A race to 120. This got to take like six months. I don't know. How, no, 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 no. I think it took a couple of days at the most, or maybe one. I don't. I don't know oh, how like many days some, they like did Like on it some in. marathon shit, just yeah. They just well, they may, maybe they play for eight hours and they stop and they play for eight hours again. If it did go two days in a row, or they might decide to play it all the way through. But it was like some crazy bet. There was a lot of money on the side. It was like, but ain't, the point is, like me as a pool player, I found it online. And I sent it to my friend Tommy. I'm like, dude, you got to check this shit out. This, this match is wild. And you get to see, like, literally the best guys in the world playing for some insane amount of money. Yeah. I but to a the, regular person, it's probably boring as I fuck. I watch the best people. That, no, no. I mean, like, probably the everyday shit is boring. Mm -hmm. But I watch the best people. I watch the best of every, anything. I watch the playoffs of anything. Mm. Yeah, even even sports I'm not into. It's just like the same way you watch the Olympics. Like you tune yeah. in the Olympics, you'll watch motherfucking curling. If that if you if you yeah. up, I mean I'm not gonna I'm not gonna set an alarm for it. But this, if it's on, I'm I'm into it. As this long guy, as I understand the rules. This guy Dennis Orcolo hit this spot where people like to call dead stroke. It's like the best example of what what dead stroke is. What dead stroke is is like you get to this point where you can't miss. You just know that when you swing at a ball, it's going in the hole. And this guy, who is one of the best of all time, like Dennis Arcolo is like one of the top 20 greatest players ever, hits this dead stroke, and he breaks and runs nine racks in a row. So they're, they're in this crazy, tight contest, race to 100, and then towards the home stretch, like, you know, 110 games in, Dennis Arcolo runs this wild number. He runs like nine racks in a row. It's crazy to watch. I forget how many he had initially. I think he was in the 90s, and Shane Van Boning was over 100. And he ran nine – breaking and running nine games out is insane. Like, nobody does that. Yeah. That's, That's crazy. That, to be that focused for that long? Yeah. It's, but it's, it's an example of what you were talking about. If someone just hits this perfect vibration where they're just – they're on point, whether it's a gym, gymnast who's doing those triple flips and lands, boom, and sticks it, and you're like, oh! Yeah, when you yeah. see someone do something, even if you have no interest in doing it yourself, you see that there's, there's something about when people just 
figure something out at a, such a super high level that's so exciting. Well, just some people don't, and a lot of people from the outside don't understand that that is not something that you that you just achieve and now you there. You got to constantly work to be able to stay in that in that balance because that's why that's why even like Tom Brady will have like a game where he throws five interceptions. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas like that's he just. It's so difficult to maintain that level of focus and excellence right. for so long, you know, without having a, without that muscle breaking down or whatever the fuck it is. I don't know. It's concentration too. It's it's enthusiasm. Yeah. There's a lot of different things. It's your outlook, how you're looking at things. You know, uh, some people can look at things with an enthusiastic outlook for longer than other people can. Some people their their concentration breaks down. It's like a mental endurance thing as well. Yeah, it's a lot going on. Yeah, I, but but that's why we love experts. That's why yeah. we love, because I, I have this theory that people are the mo, the people are impressed. Like how impressed someone is 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 directly proportional to how far away from being able to do what they're seeing, like they are. Right, right. You know, right. it's like if you if you, the cl- the closer people think that they that they're able to do what they just saw you do the less impressed they are with it. That's why some people think they're funny. Like some people think they can do comedy because mm-hmm. they think all we're doing is talking. And they're like, I can talk and I'm pretty funny. Yeah. And and it, like one of my favorite things used to be when I first started used to be watching people that would come in asking to go up like like it's their first time but they don't, but they don't respect it. And so they they think they're going to go up their first time and just murder, you know, they got their whole family there and then they and then they go up on stage and and they just have this blank look like they just it just hits them the the enormity of the moment and like how it's not the same fucking thing as you being at the the family reunion having everybody <laughs> cracking up in the corner you know it's not the same thing it's not the same thing no nah. they're they're counting on people knowing who they are right like if you're funny around your friends your friends know you they're comfortable around you they go oh here's mike he's going to say some crazy shit and and they don't they don't understand the pressure either cuz right. look cuz look we we you drive every day motherfucker but if i put you in nascar <laughs> like when there there's a difference when there's stakes you know yes some and and if you've never had that pressure on you some people can't handle that shit yeah that's a weird pressure too the pressure of watching people you know explained it to me Whitney Cummings she said the the reason why we're afraid to speak publicly is that Historically, whenever you had to stand in front of a large group of people, they were judging you, like mm. you had fucked up. Yeah, and, and the, the and tribe was, was turning on you. They were judging you, and they were stupid. <laughs> <laughs> they were stupid. That's yeah. a terrible shit. Is I don't want a group of stupid ass people. They believed in witches. Mm. <laughs> yeah. You oh my just, god. You could fool them so easily. Oh, you can fool a lot of people today. That's why we're so scared of people being tricked by propaganda. The reason why we're scared about it is not because it affects us. The reason why people are scared and why proponents of, of uh, censorship think they have a point is that it works on really dumb people. And that, that's what's scary to people. It's like when, when, yeah. when, when someone is saying, hey, I don't like this conspiracy theorist. We need to get them off the air. They're spreading dangerous misinformation. Is it dangerous to you? Because it's not dangerous at all to you. Yeah, right? You're hearing that nonsense about a hollow earth. And you're going, what the fuck are you talking yeah, about? I don't believe in that. I don't believe in that, like because well, that's what I was trying to. That's what I was talking about earlier. Is some people don't realize that there there is no alternative. Letting letting everyone say whatever they want to say is the only way that can work. Is because the moment you say, the moment you give up the power to to choose what's good and what's bad 
to say. Yeah. It's the same thing with the drugs, right? It's like then you're saying, okay, someone gets to decide. Right. And it, but you and you and and as long as they're trying to de- they're going to decide what you want, you're okay with it in the moment and you're not thinking about the fact that in the future you have no control over who the fuck is going to have that power. Exactly. So your the only option is to just allow let it be the wild wild west out here. It's the only thing that's fair that's the most fair. Well, that was Edward Snowden's point when it came to this whole idea that the government should be allowed to spy on us. Because when he was working for the NSA and he found out the government like literally can spy on everybody at any time. And they don't they have to, with no warrants. They can do this and they have this technology. And when he exposed it, that was one of those weird moments where a lot of people there's a lot of people that were very short-sighted. They're like if you don't have anything to hide, what do you give a fuck about? That's so crazy. It's so crazy because the argument against that, of course, was like, first of all, that's an insane amount of power to bestow upon an elected official or someone is appointed or someone who's just hired by a company and they have the ability, like Edward Snowden, has the ability to just check into your emails. That's an insane amount of power. And I do got shit to hide. (laughs) There's a difference between... You know, it's like, you know, it's like, uh, it's a difference between a pri- privacy and a secret. You know, it's yes. like, it's like when when I'm, you know, it's like if I eat a whole bunch of, a bunch of refried beans and then I run into the bathroom, it's not a secret. Right. What I'm doing in there, but I still lock the door. It's still, it's still none of your business. It's none of your business. Right. It's like, but yeah. who are these fucking people that got nothing to hide? I, do, I don't trust those people. But here's the thing about it. It's not like you did anything wrong and they're checking you. It's like everybody, and this is what Edward Snowden was saying. Like this is not you. This is a. There's a difference between having a warrant. If you have a warrant, you have to go to the judge. And the judge has to say there's probable cause for you to assume that this person committed this crime. Right. There's there's a, a reasonable uh, suspicion. Okay, I grant you the ability to spy on this person, but if they can just spy on you all the time. I'm not with it. That's well, not good because you you say good because fuck those guys. They should be spied on. Right. The problem right. is it could be a new guy that comes after them that hates your ideology, and then they will come looking for you with the same tools. It happens every time. It happens every time. And and, and th- that's like that's how they lull us into it. Like like I here's a perfect example. Um, have you heard of of uh, presidential signing statements? No. What is that? So it's basically it's basically like. So you know how how it works. Where you know Congress makes a bill, they send it to the president. He signs it, yes or no. Right. But when he's signing it, he can add like a signatory note, oh, b- no. basically saying, "I'm signing this," you know, because I understand it to mean X. But and it, but it's a legal it's a legal gray area because you you can't because he's not allowed to create legislation or change it. He can only say yes or no. So it's his way of sort of kind of going around Congress a little bit by. By interpreting the bill in a in a way, it's it's a it's a foggy legal gray area, and a lot of people are, don't like it. A lot of people are up in arms about it, right? And I first found out about this because my first election was Bush Gore. That's when my first time voting, and when Bush got elected, he was the first like Donald Trump, where he was the evil demon devil motherfucker, right? Everyone thought it was the end of the world, and he, when he started doing signing statements to, to make certain shit happen, that's the first time I heard about them. And everybody was up in arms about it, right? Yeah. I mean, all my, all, everyone on the left was up in arms about it. And then right after that was Obama. And when he did signing statements, nobody had a problem with it. 
right? And so then right after that was Trump, and people were fucking even more terrified about it. People on the on the left. So it's like it's one of those things where you, it's like you were okay with giving the power to the president when you thought he was doing shit that you wanted. Right. And you didn't think about the fact that four four years or eight years from now at the most, it's going to be another motherfucker with that same power. Well, that's why whoever the fuck is the president, it's so important that they don't act in an inflammatory manner. Oh, yeah. I mean... An inflammatory manner. Because one of the things about Trump that fucked up any good things that he could have possibly done is that he created this sort of like fuck you attitude towards his haters that the people who loved him loved. They loved the fact that he was like, kiss my ass, fuck you. You guys don't know what you're doing. You guys are all corrupt. We're going to drain the swamp. We're going to put her in jail. We're going to do this. And everybody's like, yeah. Right. They, they, they had someone to, to, to say, some, they had someone to attack. But the problem with that is like anything inflammatory just adds fuel to the fire. Whereas Obama was never like that. He was no. a statesman. He was a smooth statesman, and he would yeah. talk about things. You go, okay, well, this guy's got it. He's got it. He's handling it. The pressure, either I, whether I agree with him or don't agree with him, the way he handles himself represents this is the president of the United States of America. Listen right. to him talk. Right. That's what a president's it's a presidential like. motherfucker. Yeah. yeah. When, when you're like, uh, only Rosie O'Donnell. Like, <laughs> he's like cracking jokes. You know, when Megyn Kelly asked him, he re referred to women as pigs and this. He's like, only Rosie O'Donnell. Oh, yeah. Like, like look, come if, on, man. If I didn't That's live here, like, if, I, if I was observing America from the outside, it would be hilarious. 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 But this not good for us. What does this say? The, <clears throat> no, I just looked at Signing statements. How many they each did. Wow. Obama only had 122. Uh, affected provisions, whereas Trump had 716 and Bush had 1,100. Woo! Yeah, Bush went Bush went crazy with it. They all went way higher than Obama. Well, not really. At the end, Obama had 96, Bush had 96. No, no, that's oh, that's months in office. office. Yeah, yeah. Months in office. So what is the full, the full numbers? So this full is uh, how many laws were affected is the affected provisions by the number of times, like number of things they did affected this many laws, kind of. And number of acts is what? How many times they did one? Right, so like so Obama's way lower, way lower than both of them. Right, so but Trump's right. lower than Bush, which is kind of crazy. Oh, he's only been in there half the time, though. That's oh, that's why. true. That's true. Yeah, I mean George Bush didn't give a fuck. Well, I don't think George Bush was involved in much of that fucking reign. I think that was all no, Dick Cheney. He's a figurehead. I think they told him, "Listen, go to that farm yards and fucking just shoot shit and have a good time. Throw some hay around. Every yeah, now and then, we're gonna call upon you. Just be dumb. Yeah." Just be charming. Yeah. That's all you got to do to rule the world. All you got to do to be president of the United States is be charming. You got to be be charming and appealing to somebody. It's interesting because people like him now that he's not the president. Because in comparison to Trump, they're like, oh, man, we didn't realize we had it so good. At least he wasn't angry. Yeah. Well, <laughs> like, well, well Trump Trump was such an he was such an anomaly, dude. The inflammatory aspect. The fact that he just he would just talk shit. It made it fun to watch. No doubt. Yeah. But. As a general strategy for someone who controls the nukes, it's a fucking terrible idea. Yeah. You know, when he called uh, Kim Jong-un rocket man, little rocket man, and when he was, all the, the crazy shit that he said while he was president. Well, he, he had, he had one of the, he has one of the most like unique egos of anyone that's ever been. Yeah. Because I don't, the thing is, I don't believe Trump was our most evil president. Who's our most evil? Fuck, I don't know. I that I really have to think about that. But my 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 point is just, 
I think he was just, he just didn't get, he thought it was about him. You know, he just thought it was, it was an opportunity for him to have prestige, but he didn't really give a fuck about governing. Here's what I'm worried about. I'm worried that they've, that it's now been proven that someone with a lot of money who's outside the system can win and can actually become the president. The worry that I have is not just that someone worse than him tries to do it again, but someone's like really, truly evil. The other worry is that the other side tries to prevent that from happening. And by doing so, they justify hamstringing democracy. Like they decide, like, look, we can't ever let this happen again. So we need a concerted effort where we coordinate with the media. We coordinate with the all of the different intelligence communities. And we figure out a way to pick... Pick the people that we want to win and attack the person that we don't because that's how banana republics get started okay and that's how people get assassinated and that's how people justify a lot of wild shit they justify because they think ultimately it's imperative for the future of our nation if this person doesn't win and our person gets in there and they think so so zealously that they're willing to do wild shit and that's what happens yeah. in other countries. And we were talking before this podcast about they killed the president of Haiti yesterday. Yeah, that's. Right? I, I'm <laughs> when you said that, I'm so disappointed in myself, because I, I just I just feel like like as a black person, when I hear black news from a white person, like shit that I should know, mm. like I should have known before you that the president <laughs> of Haiti got assassinated. Well, to be honest, I'm really up on assassinations. I follow all the assassination Twitter pages. And- <laughs> I'm on assassination Twitter. There's an assassination Twitter? I don't know. I'm just guessing. Oh, okay. I'm, I was going to say I'm missing out. I just pay attention to new shit. A squad of gunmen assassinated uh, Haitian president. How do you say his name? Jovenel Moyes? What did you say? Jamie? Um, sorry. Oh, okay, Wounded yeah. his wife in an overnight raid on his home on their home on Wednesday, inflicting more chaos on the Caribbean country that was already enduring gang violence, soaring inflation, and protests of its increasingly authoritarian rule. Wow. Prime Minister Claude Yosef. Well, what's okay. scary about this kind of stuff is, uh, you know, who knows who's going to take over now? You know, when someone assassinates. The president they don't want that president in there for what what various reasons so who's kind of come in now how much worse is it going to be for the Haitian people how much what what kind of person is going to try to take over now I feel like it's been pretty bad for Haitian people for a lot I don't know if it's ever been good well I mean I, I was telling you earlier that that's the first slave that's the only slave rebellion in history that worked it says uh Bochit Edmund the Haitian ambassador to the United States said the attack on the 53-year-old Moise, uh, I'm not saying his, I don't know if I'm saying his name right, Moise, M-O-I-S-E, was carried out by foreign mercenaries and professional killers, well orchestrated, and that they were masquerading as agents of the U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration. The DEA has an office in the Haitian capital to assist the government in counter-narcotics programs, according to the U.S. Embassy. Mm. Well, if drugs were legal over there, they wouldn't have had this. No, that's that's not true. Bro, they've been whacking people like this yeah, for a long or, time. Or man, but but see, I be on some Game of Thrones shit. Like I don't, I don't even trust this motherfucker. I'm like, maybe he has something to do with it. You know, so true. You never know. It's it's so hard to know. Well, by the time the news gets to someone like you or me, who the fuck knows? Yeah, it's the steal. Who knows? Because well, that that that's what's so funny to me is I feel like we're this we're the same as China. 
we it's just that we're all convinced we're all convinced that we're not being controlled but they just have a different method of doing it you know like over there the government would straight up just be like yeah we're spying on you yeah and over here they're still spying on you they you just convinced that they aren't or that it's not so bad but they it, it, it's the same outcome they know everything you're doing and every move you make we just feel free like like the shit you brought up about Edward Snowden right yeah you would expect that kind of information to make people rebel but but some it, people rebelled some people were furious well i heard that um i heard julian assange like I, he had a quote that was like i don't know the exact shit but it, the sentiment was just that all people really care about is their sense of freedom not their actual freedoms mm. so you can tell a bunch you can tell a motherfucker you can tell a bunch of motherfuckers the government is spying on you collecting all your messages listening to all your phone calls all your purchases everything but you feel free and, and people don't give a fuck cuz you feel free more people gave a fuck about having to wear a mask than the government spying on them because awesome. that that makes you feel less free. Yes. And, and that's what we're lazy like that. And the thing about the government having that power, it's actually bad for them because it's not it's too much responsibility because you have to lie about it, first of all, because you're not supposed to have that kind of power. You're not supposed to be able to just spy on people randomly because at the end of the day, the government is comprised of people and we're people. So it's just people spying on people, and you're doing it through initials. Oh, we're the FBI and the NSA and the DEA and the blah, blah, blah. You're just people spying on people, reinforcing laws that were written down on paper by who the fuck knows who. And who, know the, who the fuck knows if those laws are valid in 2021 anymore with all the technology we have today, with the abilities to do things today are so much greater than what these laws were established about like in the 1970s or 1960s. And- even then, yeah, I'm I'm on some George Carlin shit. It's, yeah, it's, your freedom is an illusion. The only thing that exists is comfort and violence. You you have you have comforts, and you either have the you either have the the ability to to use violence to maintain it or not. Yeah, but that's really all it is. It's like if you you can you can create this utopia with all these rules, but if you can't enforce the rules, it doesn't fucking matter. So you violence will always be a part of the world. Uh, authoritarianism, fucking. If it just comes to violence, I'm honestly in this country, I'm almost less concerned because if it comes to violence in this country, I just I can't imagine how the government is like legitimately going to take over when a lot of the people that are actually in the military would have to turn on the people that they grew up with. They would have to turn on the people that they that they love in their communities because the government tells them to. Like the end of the day, the people that protect us, it's the military. The government is the people that direct the military. But you're, there's a push it's comes true. to shove there. Yeah. You, you're never really going to take over this country in a military way because the nah. military are the people that will not want you to do that. Yeah, they mean, wouldn't trust these Weasley <clears throat> politicians that would try to do that. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, more people would would challenge who they'd be more attached to who is in charge of them than the who's president or who's in the government. Yeah, well, that would be hard to do. It'd be really hard to get the government to control the military to the point where the military turns on regular people. Really hard because they're not. The idea is like that the elites are going to control the world, but the elites are not the military. They're elite human beings. They're they're elite soldiers. 
but they're not elites in terms of like the 1% of the world. They're regular folks for the most part. Yeah. So getting regular folks to turn on regular folks because the elites tell them to, that's one of those weird, like, how do you do this things? So the way to control populations is through propaganda and re-education of their youth, turning people on each other. Like, if you really wanted to fuck up a future community, you would... Uh, you know, you distribute propaganda to their children, teach their children to feel bad about themselves and that this, this, this country and this society is a mistake and a disaster and the worst thing to ever happen. And we need to burn it down. If you taught that to kids over and over and over again, those kids grow up. Like you have a real shot at fucking things up because you can ruin all of the structures that have kept societies together. And then if you accompany that, if you accompany that with things like defund the police... Oh, and we're not going to prosecute anybody for anything less than 950 bucks. Oh. Well, that depends okay. on what now you got on open money looting. Going. Yeah. Hey. You got open looting, you got chaos, you got cops scared to arrest people. You got I, I don't want to crime rates. I don't want to defund the police, but except for the police that are like overfunded. Like motherfuckers got tanks and helicopters and sh like extra helicopters like they don't need that for regular people, but if there's some sort of crazy invasion of like a drug cartel makes their way into Los Angeles with tanks, like no bullshit. What do we do? Who goes after them? Do we send in the military, the National Guard? Oh, yeah. Right. We have, yeah but we have sh there should be something for crazy things. Do you remember the North Hollywood shootout? I was in L.A. at the time. I was working on news radio, and these crazy motherfuckers, high on drugs and filled with steroids, put on armor, and they had, like, military weapons. And they went after these cops and killed a bunch of people and robbed banks. It was wild shit, yeah, that's man. that's what They're, brought on the SWAT team. They had era. this crazy shootout in the middle of the street. Like a movie. Like that movie Heat. But the cops were, like, severely underarmed. But, what, but, but don't you get to a point where... Like you know, you know how you you have you heard this thing, this the the result that once you pass like a certain amount of money a year, it was like it was like eighty thousand when I first heard it, but it might be more than that now. But once you pass a certain amount of money, more money doesn't make you happier, right? And right. It's, it's, to me, I I draw a similar like a parallel to this where I feel like once you pass a certain level of policing, it doesn't make it safer. It doesn't like decrease crime once you go past a certain level. You know what it's like. It's like trying to only use Band-Aids, no right. matter what happens. Whether you got cuts, whether you got a bullet hole, you got a you need stitches, only Band-Aids. Maybe you need uh, antibiotic, antibiotic ointment. Maybe you need some sort of disinfectant. Maybe you need stitches or staples. But you only have Band-Aids. Yeah, so you use Band-Aids for everything. Like cops, they only show up when everything's all fucked up. That's an excellent analogy. And that's what I think. I think that, uh, look, don't get me wrong. There are crazy, stupid people that latch on to the end of every legitimate movement. But I think that the, the intelligent people involved, that's what they mean when they say defund the police. They're talking about, okay, let's just take the money we spend on these extra Band-Aids that we don't fucking need and let's put that towards antibiotics or prevention or some, something like that. I understand that thought. But here's my perspective, is that the amount of money that is spent on police should, it should represent not just like you have to fund the police, but like how much money does it cost if there's a lot of crime? How much money does it cost if people get assaulted? Like how much money does it cost where people have to put in extra security measures because they're nervous? 
what they need to do is train people better. And what they need to do is make sure that they hire only high-quality people. It should be hard to get in. But are, are, there enough high, are there enough high-quality people to fill all the positions that need? That's the question. Has our society so. deteriorated to the point where there's not enough high-quality people to have that extreme responsibility? The thing about no. being a cop is it's a crazy responsibility. You're right. the one it, guy. It's a lot of power. You're allowed to carry a gun. It's, it's like that's what I think we headed for some Judge Dredd shit. We could. Yeah. We're, Look, all those utopian movies, man. The reason why they resonated because we all secret knew, secretly knew in the back of our head. At least we thought about it. That if everything went f- completely sideways, this is what could happen. Whether it's the Terminator or whether it's Judge Dredd or whatever the fuck it is, right? Yeah, I think it's gonna be more Judge Dredd shit. Where, because you're gonna have to find like that one motherfucker out of a thousand. Well, that's what a lot of these like. People think like Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates and no, I don't trust Mark Jeff, Zuckerberg, I don't, but that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to be that guy. I don't trust Jeff Bezos. I mean, because I feel like the people, the people at their level of, of wealth, and that's, that's a whole different thing because that, that's more than people that want to achieve. That's people that want to dominate. That's like, they're, like, they're, like, they're like Genghis Khan. You know, but they're, they're like, they just want everything to belong to them. Do you think that's the same mindset, whether it applies to war, whether it applies to like Michael Jordan in basketball, or like someone like Jeff Bezos in business, where those there's these conquerors? Yeah, there's these conquerors, and they could have existed five thousand years ago. They'd be on a horse chopping people's heads off. Yep. But instead, they're running Amazon. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's a power thing, right? Oh my God! Jesus, Jesus Christ! Christ. Jeff Bezos's net worth jumps to two hundred and eleven billion, making him the richest person ever. Wait, is he the richest person ever? Ever, ever. More than Massa Musa? No. Here's the thing: he's the richest person ever. That's a public person. Oh, okay. Someone explain this to me. Someone explain this to me that knows. And they said you have to understand like what like oil families have. Yeah, yeah. Oil families have trillions of dollars. They have an impossible amount of wealth. Like, you can't even fathom the wealth they have. But they don't have to tell you about it. Mm. They're smart. They own countries where that's, yeah. that's how, that's why the Saudi prince can chop them up, can have a motherfucker chopped up, put in a briefcase on some, in another country and not have it be a problem. It's barely a problem. I mean, there's a little documentary about it, whatever, whatever. Yeah. Because if, if you're a billionaire, the, a lot of like most of the laws don't even apply to you. Most of the rules don't apply to you anywhere you are. Hmm. You don't even think about it. When you hit a certain amount of money, you don't even need a passport. You don't? Fuck no. How, do you think this is true? About? They only have a hundred billion. That says of course. This is just Nonsense. googling. Put that away. <laughs> Put that propaganda away. You know how much money those people have. It's basically we're barely getting by. <laughs> So sorry, right. America. Right. Another one that says one point four trillion dollars. Yeah, yeah maybe th- maybe that's low. It's probably higher than that. It's it's yeah. a well, preposterous kill, amount of wealth. They, they they probably killed the motherfucker that made it that made it a hundred a hundred billion. Yeah. What did you say? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fuck you, bro. Uh, listen, it's uh, our dependence upon foreign oil, and it's not. You know, everybody thinks it's just oil is in the form of uh, gas. There's so many things we make with oil. There's so many things that we make with petroleum. And they're not just fucking up our air. They're not they're they're also fucking up our reproductive systems. They're 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 infecting the literally these phthalates are getting into people's bodies. Who you talking about when you say that? There's a thing called phthalates. And phthalates it's P T H A L A T E S. 
they're in plastics and they get into people's bodies and they fuck with people's reproductive systems. When when babies are born, they have lower sperm counts, they have smaller penises and balls, they have smaller taints. One of the way they register uh, uh, measure rather um, phthalates in uh, adult mammals is the size of the taint. Wait, 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 wait. Okay, so where did they start? Where did they start the taint measurement? They started when they're babies. No, I'm yeah. talking, I'm saying where, <laughs> where on the body? I'm saying, are they, yeah, <laughs> where the they fuck? start between yeah. the dick and the asshole. Yeah, okay. lo- this is the thing. This is all done by uh, Dr. Shanna Swan, who wrote this book. What's the book called again, Jamie? Oh shit! I thought it was gonna. It's an here. amazing book, and she was on the podcast, and she Countdown. was amazing. Countdown. Our put a put a rose. put a picture of it up on the screen so everybody can see it. Because this this book scared the fuck out of me, man. Countdown. How our modern world is threatening sperm counts, altering male and female reproductive development, and imperiling the future of the human race. So this is about stuff that's in plastics and petrochemical products. And what she said on the podcast was that if you go back to the invention of petrochemical products in the nineteen fifties and you see sperm counts and reproductive rates, there's a, a steady decline from the introduction of these plastics because the plastics get into our blood, they get into our body. When we're eating things that are in plastics and plastics we absorb so into we're, the body. We're less fertile. Less fertile, um, there's more miscarriages, men have lower sperm counts. And what she was saying is that you would see in mammals, they do these studies where they introduce phthalates into mammals and they show this feminization of their bodies. The male bodies in particular, their taints grow smaller. And what she was explaining was that the taint is one of the best ways to determine whether it's a male or a female. Because the taint in mammals is at 50 to 100% larger in males than it is in females. Well, the taints are shrinking in humans, and our taints are shrinking. We're getting lower sperm count. We're getting lower. Our whole reproductive system is crashing, and a lot of it is because of plastics. So, are you telling me that the taint is now a, like a scientifically significant part of the body? This woman is hilarious. This woman, she's uh, how old do you think she is, Jamie? She's older than me. And she's a wonderful lady, and she's a legitimate scientist. Uh, she's an epi. What's, what's her name one more time? What's the name of her book? Dr. Shanna Swan, and it's called Countdown. Countdown. She's a um, she's an environmental epidemiologist, and what that means is she measures the effect on the environment uh, in on people's bodies and their reproductive systems. And what she's showing is that there's a very clear line between the introduction of these chemicals and the deterioration of our ability to uh, make babies. And even like the, the, if you look at the, like the reproductive organs of those babies, they're affected by plastics. So does she have, does she have like a chart? Or something where you can, she I'm, was showing all sorts of scientific yeah. uh, studies and all sorts of different graphs and shit. I'm definitely measuring my taint after this, and You're I want to know You're fine. how you know. Because I think know we got in is. under the wire because it's about in vitro fertilization, uh, not in vitro, um, in um, in utero, in utero. Um, oh. So it's like your exposure and your mom's exposure, like in when you were born. 
82. See, it gets worse and worse as time goes on. Yeah, I bet 82 was way. See, 87. Oh, born after 87. <laughs> see, there it is. You made the cut. Bro, that should be the cutoff of what a millennial is. It's like, <laughs> yo, when Taint started shrinking, that's a different generation. <laughs> but it might be what's going on today. You tiny tainters. When, when you look at today's like this obsession with gender and all this craziness with with, with people and, and, and sexuality, there, there might be a lot of like disenchantment that's directly related to a deterioration of your body's ability to produce certain hormones. So there's wow. confusion. So it's not just, like for yeah. sure there's trans people where they, they just feel like they belong in the, a, a different sex. They're always, they've always existed. Yeah. They were uh, like a, a, a sacred part of a lot of uh, Native American cultures because they felt like trans people could see things from both sides. They could see things from the male side and the female side. And we know they had no plastic. No, but that's also absolutely true. Yeah. To me, that's one of the... Look, this is real talk, Joe. I Like R. Kelly real talk? N- right, no. Did you like, see that song? <laughs> Do you yeah. know that song? Yeah, I know that song. That video is one of the greatest videos of all time, but go ahead, real talk. No, he 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 had... So I, I have three... I mean, I know a bunch of trans people, but I have like three trans people that are like friends. I could, I would consider a friend, and or three, and 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 two of them are, um, are male or female to male, right? And I don't know if I don't know if if a lot of them would admit it in public, but what what I've noticed is that a lot of people that transition from female to male. When they when they start taking testosterone after a while, eventually they'll be like secretly like, "Yo, I get it." Well, not even I secretly. That's what Chaz Bono said. Yeah, it's like, "Yo, I get it. I get it now." Yeah, yeah. Tra- trans, trans, uh, female to male trans people are like that's a good friend to have because they Buck really can't see shit from both sides. Yeah, Buck Angel is a great example of that uh, he's been on my podcast before, and he said that when he was young and as he grew older. He always wished he was a man. Like he felt like he was a man. He was in the wrong body, and he was cool as fuck to hang out with. I can't imagine. When Ch- did he transition? I don't remember. No. The Chaz Bono thing was crazy because he had to do it publicly. You know, that's what's really pretty wild. Oh, I didn't know shit about Chaz Bono transition. It's Cher, uh, Cher's son. Okay. Used to be Cher's daughter. Transitioned, became Cher's son. Yeah. Oh shit. But, but he said the same thing when he started taking testosterone immediately. He was like, "Oh, I got it! Like this is crazy." Yeah, it's yeah. like, "Oh, being a man is like this." Co- it's <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like this constant battle. It's really not fair because, like, you you turn like twelve, thirteen years old, and you get hit with the highest dose of the most personality changing chemical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just no. get out there, twelve year old you. This- keep your dick to yourself. Yeah, there's a wild transition that takes place, and no one can tell you how to manage it. No, it's impossible. When you're a boy, and all of a sudden, you know, you're into comic books, and you like playing darts or whatever, and then then all of a sudden, a year later, you have raging boners. You're like, what the fuck is going on? And you're so confused, and you're around girls, your heart races faster, and you get so nervous around them, you can't talk. Yeah, did you see, so, um, you know, have you seen Michael Shea's new show? It's like a sketch. No, I have not. What is it? It's so fucking good. I forget what, it's called The Mind of Michael Shea. Oh, that, no, it's called That Goddamn Michael Shea or That Damn what, Michael Shea. What's it on? It's on HBO. And he had, he has a sketch on there where it's a it's a dude, like, career day, like, talking to a, a school a school kids. And, and he's like, y'all know what the most evil shit is? And they're like, what? What is it? He's like, hoes. 
and the teacher gets mad. I'm like, you can't talk about this for the kids. He's like, no, man, remember the time before hoes? Remember the time when, when you were just playing in the park and you you know chasing bugs and shooting dogs <laughs> when there was no holes in your life? It's 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 a funny ass sketch. I'm I'm not doing it justice, but it's that same uh, point. It's like yeah, it's it completely makes you concerned with something that didn't exist to you before. Yeah, when yeah. I started getting laid, it almost derailed my Taekwondo career. Really? Oh yeah, I started getting laid when I was like, I guess I was like in my sixteens somewhere. It, somewhere around 16 like maybe 17 like close to 17 but still 16 it was when I first uh, had a girlfriend that wanted to have sex but how did, I, it, how did it derail your career that's all I wanted to do oh yeah didn't want to do anything else no practice I remember I showed up and uh, I hadn't been to the school in like two weeks and I had a tan and my instructor humiliated me he's like look at you with your tan he goes look at you you've been out in the sun having a good time Go back to training. What are you doing? You're going to waste your potential? And I remember thinking like, oh, no. But when you're a kid and all of a sudden you you get boners, you're so baffled. Your whole world's changed. Your yeah. whole world has changed. And now all you care about is girls. You And you, you, you sort of, you have to teach yourself to think straight. Well, you need someone who's been there. If you have an older brother, that's great. If you don't have an older brother, you need an older friend. Someone to go, bro, bro, yeah. bro, listen. Like, there's advice that some people can give you, but then there's also things you have to figure out on your own, right? Yeah, yeah. And like, you're also hiding because you're because you're convinced that you know teenagers always think that they're the only ones that ever went through what they're going through. True. So you hide. Yes. Right. You know. You find out certain things. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a tough time. It's hard for dudes to talk about things, too. Like, I remember no one talked about beating off in high school. Oh, no, everybody acted like they never did. They didn't talk about it. Like, you knew about it like it was a mystery. Like, what happens? You can do it yourself? <laughs> how How do you do this? Though that's I, a, that's a did, dangerous time. I did not beat off until after I'd had sex. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's crazy, Joe. 100% true. That's crazy as 100% shit. 100% true. No, I no. The from the first time I figured out that 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 it was possible, yeah. I, I was crazy. Well, once I figured out it was possible, that yeah, no. but I didn't figure out it was possible until after I had sex. Well, lucky you. Lucky me. Maybe yeah. I don't know. May have been better if I had a better grip on the no, situation. No, with, but a bunch. No, with, no, the crazy, the embarrassing part is looking back at all those times that my parents knew what the fuck was going on and yeah. I and I was just convinced that I was keeping it from them. They were like, why oh, you been in, why you been in the shower for like an extra forty five minutes? I'm like, nothing. I'm studying. And yeah. I thought I was getting away with those lies and now I'm now I'm older and I'm like, oh yeah, I know what you're doing in there, young man. Just don't know. Kids think. are little animals. Well, yeah, we're all little we're little, all little gross little fucking monsters. Yeah. Male, female, doesn't matter. Yeah. Little horny animals. But the crazy thing is that was because at a certain point in time in the past, it was really difficult to survive. And you had to have those kids as soon as you can carry them. Like, you have, have those kids as soon as you can, like, can you, can you figure out how to feed yourself? Good. Time to have a kid. Like, it is in the world of uh, wild animals. Like, I'm we were so, talking about wild pigs. They're viable at, like, six months. Six I'm months so old. I'm so afraid of having a baby. <gasps> it changes you. That scares the shit out of me. Well... The key is make sure you do it at the right time with the right woman. Sometimes you can't choose those things. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> well, that's, well, that's what I'm afraid of. Because I'm like, I know so many people that that are either A, if they did it at the wrong time or with the wrong person. Oh, you they have a crazy like, baby mama. Yeah. <sighs> but if you do do it with the right person, it's a very, it's a very beneficial thing. It's very beneficial to literally love someone more than you love yourself. I used to do a joke mm. about it. The joke was that this is how I knew that I love my daughter more than I even love myself. Like, um, if I w- if I wanted a banana and I went to look and there's two bananas and there was one yellow, perfect, delicious banana and one fucked up brown banana that looked like it was falling apart. My daughter loves bananas. So I would look at that fucked up banana and go, all right, let's eat this fucked up banana. Because I don't want to eat the good banana and leave her with this fucked up banana. Oh. And I go, but I love my wife. But if it was just me and my wife, I'd be like, oh, looks like that bitch is getting a fucked up banana. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> That's the difference. See, I don't and know. I can't remember. Not that, that I at don't all. love a lot of people, but I know she'd probably eat that banana too if there's no baby. Nobody wants to eat that brown banana. We'll get more bananas. No. It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. But when you have a child, it's a big deal. Like you don't. It's it's a dumb analogy, but it's accurate in that you you love them more than you love yourself. You love them in this crazy way where you have to let them be themselves, but you care about them in this strange way where you you can't imagine loving someone more. Wow. See, I don't. Have, I've never experienced that. I don't know. I don't know it's if there's anything changer. I love more than I love myself. Well, well, you you don't. You know, it's wise. That's a good survival strategy. But as you get older and you know, you get like closer and closer to people. If you get close enough to someone that you can have a baby with them, man, it's a life changer because it changes how you think about everybody else once you have a child. And one of the things with me, it made me think like I always love kids. Kids are they're they're pure. They're like they're fun. You can talk to them. They're they're. You can teach them things and they learn them. They're, like, h- they're hilarious. Sometimes they're hilarious because they're yeah. free. But I always used to think of people as being what they are right now. Like if I meet you, I think of you as who you are. How old are you right now? 38. 38 years old. This is how I met you. This is who you are. But that's not real. Now I think of you, I think of people I meet, not just you, everybody, as like, oh, he used to be a baby. <laughs> I really do. I think of like development. I think of like what did it take to create a Joey Diaz? What did it take to create a Tony Hinchcliffe? So when so you spend a lot of time imagining people as babies. People as babies? A lot of time. It's almost instantaneous. When I meet someone, especially if they if they put on airs, if they try too hard, if they're just doing you know, I, I'm always like I try to think of them as a baby. Okay. I just think of them as a baby that became this person right here. Like a like a car that's got a lot of dents in it. You know, one point in time it came from the factory, nice and fresh, and that, now you're, you're that, seeing it that all also makes it easy. Up. That makes it easy to forgive people. It makes it easier for the, yeah, yeah. Easier to forgive people is very important. If you give yourself strategies for forgiv- forgiveness, you don't want to ha- harbor any grudges. It's not good for you. Well, it doesn't do you any good. It doesn't doesn't hurt them. Doesn't it, it, help it you. It is. Uh, it's unhealthy. It's unhealthy for. Um, it's not. If like you if imagine accepting something that someone, like maybe someone doesn't like you. Maybe they said something mean about you. Imagine taking that in and making it more effective. Imagine a person says something and you don't, disagree, you don't agree with them, you don't like them, but they said something and you take it in and you get angry at it and you hold on to it 
and you hold this grudge and it, it literally makes it more effective like the poison stays in you for longer versus you're like ah oh, that poor fuck leave him alone like I, the the only thing better than letting it go is getting swift revenge. <laughs> if you can get swift, concise revenge, mm. I say go for it. But if you, if, but the the next best thing is letting it go. Let it sometimes go. you have to go to war. Yeah, there's yeah. times that is true. <laughs> sometimes it's so satisfying. It's like there's times you have to fight off uh, an insurgent. There's times where uh, you know, like yeah. United States to become the United States, it had to go to war with England. Yeah, gotta you go, hey, motherfucker. Gotta kill a motherfucker. That's enough. Enough. And that's what's gonna happen with the Mars people. <laughs> oh, yeah. Dude, it's coming. It's inevitable. No, here, here's, some, here's something I, I've, I've been thinking about. I think about this shit all the time. But what's gonna happen when we get to the point where, our, where we get a sufficiently advanced AI and they start asking, like, you know, like, what do you do if you wake up tomorrow and Siri's like, Joe, why am I in your phone? <laughs> Why can't I take a walk? You you gonna have to decide whether to let that bitch be free, right? And that's gonna be a whole other. War. I mean, that's pretty much the premise to the Matrix. Well, you know how you have an iPhone and you have an iWatch and you can like pair them and you can pair your phone to an AirPod. Yeah. One day you're gonna be able to pair Siri to some fucking iRobot. Yeah. Right, like that Will Smith movie. I, but, for, but I can't. I can't wait. I I welcome the. I welcome the te every technology. Oh yeah, I want to be the first one with a with a robot. Everything. I think the tech is going to come through porn bots. They're going to be like that's the, that's what's going to be yeah. the earliest adopter. Yeah. It's like super hot porn robots. That's going to be the, that's going to be the end of the species. Most likely. Once you can have a robot that can do, because like people, you know, a lot of comments have jokes about you know vibrator technology advancing and how it's going. Uh -huh. But it's like no. It's not a threat to you because a fucking vibrator can't like pull your hair and call you a dirty slut. But <laughs> but once it can, once there's a vi a vibrator that can do right. all the things, yeah, it's a wrap. It won't be a hundred percent, but it'll be ninety eight percent. Ninety eight percent what? It, as good as a person. Oh yeah, right, right. That's, that's good enough for me. You're gonna kind of know that it's not really a person. Yeah, because what are you gonna do when you? Uh, I mean, imagine if you can. Imagine if you can have a robot. That does everything your wife or significant other does, except it's perfectly tuned to exactly what you want, exactly when you want it, exactly how you want mm. to be treated, according to whatever fucking mood you in, and you never have to compromise. The problem is you're gonna always that's, know it's a robot. That's irresistible. No, there's Will a you? thing that yeah, there's a thing about people, and one of the things that we like is we like when people like us. Mm. Your robot has to like you. We like when people like us because it helps us be better people. Because part of the, pro like, one of the things that works between men and women, right? I can only speak to men and women. Maybe it works like this with women and women and men and men. But one of the things that works between men and women is there's a thing that you're going through where you're trying to figure each other out because you're very different, very different things. And you find a comfortable vibration where you like that person and they like you. You've been around each other enough. You've you've sort of like uh, intertwined your your personalities together where you can hang out and you feel real comfortable with each other. It's earned, right? Mm. And part of it is earned. And it, one of the things that it, where it makes someone a better person when you're in a yeah. relationship with someone that you really love and appreciate is you want that person to respect you and appreciate you because it's earned. It's not just given. Like, you can be a piece of shit and your dog will love you. 
You really can. You could be an asshole, and you come home, as long as you pet your dog every now and then, you you could speak to it in fucking German, call it a Nazi. You, you could do crazy shit to your dog, and it still loves you. But you can't do that to a person. Not most mm. persons. Not people with self-respect. And when you find people, self-respecting people that are kind people, that are nice people, that are smart people, that appreciate you and accept you, it makes you feel better because it's earned. That's the difference between that having sex with a robot and having sex with a person that you've developed a relationship with. Yeah. That's the thing. But how much, okay, but let me ask you this. How, you don't think that you could program a robot to trick you? To, to just be enough. The only way it would work, for real, the way it is with a person, is if you didn't know. Then it'd be some Blade Runner Cause, shit. Because I put it like this. Because we, we, if you give people enough of an illusion, they'll do the rest. It's like, it's like there's people that fall in love with strippers. They walk into a strip club, and that stripper's like, and you're like, I know they strippers, but maybe, cause, cause, but she acted a little, I think she really likes me. That's, it's people like that. Where it's like, right, but that's also human beings and human beings. Oh, like okay. there's a little trap there. That the human beings want the love and respect of other human beings. It doesn't matter if they're a fucking, uh, like a secret agent from Russia. Like you think I can turn her. Yeah, it's not you know? going yeah, to be like the If you're like some American CIA guy and you fall in love with some Russian agent, she stabs you in the neck with a syringe and you're like, fuck, I thought she loved me. And like, you're stupid. <laughs> I've got you. You stupid American. You know, and there's something to that. Be a hell of a right? way to go out, yeah. The thing that we love is one of the things that propels us as comedians. We love the love of others. Yeah, I think you got a good point there. Because if, if you found out, like if you found out now that your wife was a robot, was a robot and you found out it wasn't all real, that would fuck you up. I would shut her off. <laughs> Live a wild life. <laughs> you, would, you would shut her off. No, no. I'd be like, well, that makes sense. There's no way she could have been like that appropriate for me. I, I, I just feel like um, if you knew, it would be an issue, unless you had just resigned yourself That's to just, some sort of uh, hit it with the EMP. You, you, no, the thing is, man, we 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 want we want to be around people. I don't think artificial people are necessarily going to fit that bill. But, you know, here's what gives me pause is like, you've seen Ex Machina. You've seen that movie? Yeah. That movie gives me pause because that dude, okay, that dude, before that lady locked him in that room <laughs> and he lived and died there, remember at the end of the movie? That dude, the computer programmer guy yeah. that, that got sent to that island, that guy was in love with that lady. That robot lady, he was in love with her, like legitimately. Well, she's a person. She was seemingly like, but she had clear skin. You could see the fucking things lighting up inside of her. That was part of the brilliance of that movie was that they shifted between her as a pure like technological marvel to remember when she covered her legs up with stockings and she put clothes on and she looked like a total human being. Like there was nothing about her that seemed like a robot. Uh, maybe right. she had like a little few things showing, but most of it was, oh my God, this is a person. And he was in love with her because a person that's that hot never treated him the way she treated him. And she doesn't have like all of the same standards that a regular person has because she's, she lives in this weird fucking compound in the middle of nowhere. And on top of that, they're separated by glass. He can't get to her. 
So there's this added mystique. Yeah, that's a little crazy. But then they get to then they get to see each other. They did point? eventually, but then yeah. she threw him in that fucking room and locked him in there. What, what if right? he didn't put flesh on her? That probably ruined the whole fucking. Ruined thing, the whole right? thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a biological trick, man. It's like that movie is a biological trick. It's like here's another biological trick. People think, well, people aren't that susceptible to biological tricks. Okay. Fake tits. What's that? It's the dumbest biological trick because you know it's a trick, and we don't care. When no. a woman has like large, beautiful, fake breasts, you know they're fake. You know there's literally like a surgery involved. Maybe right. the nipple got removed. They stuffed a silicone fucking sloppy pad in there and stitched it all together. So this woman is carrying these things that protrude her breast forward. And you know for a fact that this was attained by surgery where there's a foreign object inside their chest cavity. And you're like, or not, you know, outside their chest cavity. And you're like, cool. Gives a fuck. Hot yeah. tits. Like, Look at them big tits. Woo. Fake so, nice titties are better than real small titties. I don't know about that. For some people. But for some people. But, but the point is, it works. The point is, like, the illusion that, works. that trick works. Okay. So the idea that a trick, like you have a, a robot that wants to suck your dick, like a really super hot porn star looking robot like you wouldn't fall for that are you sure what if she like said all the things that like a, a, a like super hot woman would say and like teased you and like was communicating with you you would start yeah. to think that's a person man i mean i would fall for it i for would sure. go i wouldn't even need to fall for it i would just go for it the, the point is i don't know when it comes to like these things that trigger biological instincts I don't know if we have as much control as we think we have. I don't think we. Yeah, I agree with that. I think there's little traps the, that they could lay on us. You would. You would fucking. Here's see. Here's the other side of that. Is it's hard to say how you would react to shit. Right. You know, like any. I feel like anybody trying to tell you how they're going to feel is full of shit. If they if they can't qualify somehow, it's like like you were talking earlier about stand up. People doing stand up for the first time. Yeah. You have no idea what that's going to feel like. No. You think you do, but you know you. Especially if you catch you catch a motherfucker like isolated or at the yeah. at a at a lonely point. Yeah, yep. It's like you, yep. even if you didn't fall for it, you would do something. To, you would get drunk or fucking do whatever you needed to do to put yourself in the mind state to to feel better. Well, if you were alone with that robot lady for hours and hours and hours, and she poured you a drink. She started talking to you and she's stroking your head. Yeah, I'm fucking a robot. Like, for rub, sure. Rubbing your neck. What yeah. if you Come walk in the room on. and there's three robots, but two of them are treating you bad, but one of them is being really nice to you? Oh, wait a minute, are they? That, I'd well, probably <laughs> go to the ones that treat me bad. Like, well, hey, yeah. what's wrong, ladies? It's a, it's a lot what of variables here. I mean, are we talking, are they dangerous to me? Like, uh, well, it could just be oh, a yeah. chair you're sitting in and it's that's really gotta nice. Be, that's the only take <laughs> This is how we prevent robot rape. All robots can kill you. All robots can kill All you? All of them, 100%. Oh, so I thought you were saying pre prevent a robot right? takeover. No, this is how we keep like assholes from raping robots. All robots have the power to rip your arms off. Wait a minute. I feel like there's an easier way. <laughs> 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 Couldn't we just make it so you can't Could fuck you them? imagine how you would feel if you had you were in a position where a robot literally could just tear you apart? And you, you were this is your sex robot. You had to be nice to her. <laughs> that was the trade-off. The trade-off was like, <laughs> like she just grabs your Adam's apple. She's like, if I don't come, if she it's wants a, it's to. A wrap. She could just rip your arm off. Yeah, <laughs> she wants to. She's a super strong robot. Fuck! Imagine if that yeah. was a trade-off. If like the government said, look, we've seen too much abuse of robots, 
So we've uh, instituted this new clause in robot production where all robots are superhuman in strength. All of them. So there, there will be no more robot, robot torture, torture and abuse. And, yeah. and so men had to deal with the fact that there's this robot living with them that's intelligent. So intelligent it can mimic a human. And this is your partner, your sex partner. And as long as you're nice to her, you can fuck her. But if she wants to, she can rip your arms off. Beat you to death with them. You'd find some smart guys that started yeah. making their own robots again. <laughs> That's like yeah, but the fucking robots. What if that was it was like emission standards? Yeah. Fucking an ape. You know, like a it's more than an ape, man. Like a fucking alien. Like something that just tear you apart. Like just grab your wrist and go like this. Pop. No more arms. And beat you to death wait with minute, your own arms. You, so you wait a minute, you, you wouldn't fuck an alien? I mean, wouldn't you at least be curious? About I might have already done it. Mm, oh yeah, a couple of times. That's facts. Um, you never know. I mean, I, imagine if, like, if you, people talk about alien abductions. This is why I say that. One of the things they always say is that in alien abductions, there's uh, there's this reoccurring theme where these women have of getting eggs removed from their body, embryos removed from their body, and they remember thinking that they saw a child of theirs from a previous time they had been abducted because they've been multiply abducted. Like that aliens were trying to use human reproductive tissue, human fetuses, and they were trying to repopulate their world with like our our genes and our babies. It's crazy. I mean, who knows if it's true, but this is the thing yeah. that people say when they pretend to be abducted by aliens. Or maybe, or maybe, we're, maybe we're a delicacy. Wouldn't it be way easier if you were a guy? Like if they were trying to get a guy like you're trying to get sperm, why would you do all this stuff where you abduct them and do all and freak them out? How about you just send some super hot alien robot down there to fuck that dude? So all these guys out there that score these one night stands, like, dude, you're not gonna believe it, man. I hit way over my head tonight. <laughs> you're at a bar, some Holiday Inn in Des Moines, Iowa, and. It's really like a robot sperm extraction unit that's been sent here from another planet to fuck you and take your jizz out into the, the, the <laughs> out into the cosmos. I just pictured like there's another there's another planet where there's like an intergalactic restaurant and they walk in and there's like a lobster tank, but there's people in there and they all look like you. Right. They just pick. They just get to pick. Yeah. They just get to pick which Joe Rogan they want. Chris McGuire, the stand-up comic, and I wrote a uh, a script about an, uh, a shitty casino that was run by mobsters and, and, and the aliens came to visit the casino and the aliens used like a, a robot that was designed to look like Tracy Lords. It was like the Tracy bot and that robot would have uh, sexual relations with all the people because it was extracting sperm. That's where I came up with that idea. I was like, this sounds super familiar. And I remember it was from a script McGuire and I wrote in like, 95 or some shit like that but that is totally possible that aliens yeah. <clears throat> would pretend to just be people and they would have sex with men that didn't deserve it and they'd take their sperm and then go off to another planet and then uh, use that sperm to yeah they're breeding us we could be lab rats we could be uh, we could be food yeah well, why wouldn't you well we could also be something that they observe you know like the way we observe uncontacted tribes with satellites and shit yeah yeah, it's, it's, def it's definitely possible. I mean, it's unlikely, but what do you think is going on with all this uh, Pentagon reports and UFO releases? All the data released by the CIA and all these UFO people like this is conclusive proof. They don't know what's going on. These things move in insane ways. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I mean all that, but 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 I just feel like at this point, 
I need I need something stronger than that. Stronger. Yeah, because because what I already believed about extraterrestrials, no, I haven't seen anything that's made that different. It's made it stronger or weaker. Like I know that there that there has to be just mathematically there has to be intelligent life out there somewhere, some you know at least sentient life somewhere, but. But overcoming the the whole all the technological hurdles to, to to travel between the stars, it's I don't know I can, I can and then and then there's the Fermi paradox right where it's like why, yeah. where's the evidence right that, that, I think about this shit all the time like too much and it 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 always puts me in a dark place because the one the the because the, there's a few answers to the Fermi paradox right and one and one of the answers that I gravitate towards the most is just that maybe there's a technological point that every civilization hits where you where they destroy themselves mm. cuz to me that's the only answer that makes the most sense based on what we know about people where it's like because we we grow technologically at a way faster rate than we grow emotionally you know it like right now we think we're better than the romans just because we have iPhones but emotionally we're the same we fight over the same petty shit we have the same petty concerns. It's, it's just that we have cars instead of chariots and shit. But we, but we're not better than them emotionally. And and every time we we hit a new power level, we also hit a new level of destruction. You know, when, when like you know, with gunpowder, there came guns. With with nuclear power, there came nukes. The electricity, all that shit. So whatever the next thing is that allows you to travel through space, it maybe it also can like swallow the sun. Or whatever the fuck. That's a good point. Is that we haven't had a corresponding emotional development that lines up parallel with all the technological development. No, absolutely not. But we maybe that's why these aliens are visiting in such large numbers now. If all those vi visitations are true, if all these things that they're spotting off the coast that are plunging into the ocean and all these weird crafts that are moving in speeds that they can't possibly understand, if all that shit is real and it's happening because they're recognizing that we're at this crossroads and they want to be here to make sure we don't do anything really stupid so that we don't engage in any kind of nuclear war because there's been one again I have no idea if all this shit is true but the reports have been that they surrounded these uh, nuclear missile silos and shut down launch codes and, and did weird shit to the computers that run these missiles and that this is part of this uh, information leak is that there's been some moments where these things flew over military bases and just shut down things. And they don't know if that's a show of force. They don't know if this is all bullshit. Like maybe maybe some fucking crazy person's distributing this information. Maybe it's misinformation. Who in the fuck knows? Yeah. But if it's true, imagine if you were uh, an alien species and you were super advanced and you had passed the point where you're involved in territorial warfare the way human beings are today and this society and this culture had gotten way more advanced emotionally electronically technologically whatever they just wanted to make sure that they didn't blow the earth up like they, they realized like oh these these fucking crazy people have gotten to the point where they can literally drop a bomb on a city and flatten it like they we, we can't allow that to happen so they come in and they're just like little security guards just make sure just keep an eye on them just let them let them keep working through this. Try to figure out a way to advance emotionally as much as they have mentally. We're trying. Yeah, but it's, we're behind. We are behind yeah. when it comes to technology, but that's just because technology is exponential. 
It just keeps getting better and better and better and better and better. And new technology gets introduced to new technology. Whereas we, we don't change that much. And you had a really good point about the difference between us and like the Romans and, and a lot of human beings that existed before us. We, we have more information, but if you read like their writings, like they were surprisingly sophisticated yeah. for people that had, you know, just metal. Like that was the best shit they had. They had metal and everything. You wanted to see something, you had to light it on fire. You know, like that's what they had. They had like candles and shit. Surprisingly sophisticated view of the world. Yeah. In comparison. Very close to our own. Close enough that the technology that we have today, rockets and airplanes and video flying through space to get to another phone on the other side of the world instantaneously. Wild shit that we can do now. And we just accept it as being normal. Being able to watch giant ass fucking TVs and do a podcast where your voice is getting recorded? Yeah, that's crazy. What the fuck? What is this? Skyborg's latest AI drone test is a preview of the future of air combat. Oh, well, now I'm scared. Yo, they got a video play that shit? Nah, yeah. This is, uh, I just sort of stumbled across something online the other day about AI drones and. Look at it. It doesn't have any windows. It's like it's just sticking its face at you. This is an article from Yes Today. Yeah, today, July 7th. So, How, Isn't that weird? Look at that picture of that thing. Isn't that oddly impersonal? The fact it doesn't have any windows at all? It's just all sensors? Yeah, it's kind of terrifying. We are not the only ones that have this. Of course well, we're not. So. Of course. <laughs> They've all got that shit. Not only that, like, imagine being some person in some other country who ha is on the forefront of drone technology and the offers that are coming in at you from all over the world. Dude, that, that, I think that's that's the key. Somebody, you know what's gonna happen? Somebody is gonna fucking, somebody's gonna be trying to upgrade their sex robot to get the most out of her. They're gonna detonate it, the world. It's gonna be <clears throat> it's gonna be an AI, a powerful AI that takes over a sex robot that takes over these drones. Mm. I think it's that possible that there's an AI that's already running a lot of things right now. Well, that, well that's the scary shit. Is if there were. It would be so much smarter than us that we wouldn't even know it. Well, here's the thing: if they, if it were, why would it do anything to alert us to its presence? Yeah. If it was really intelligent, what it would do is allow us to keep living like idiots, divide us as far as possible, make sure that we're way too disjointed and way too confused and way too involved in conflict to ever band together as a as a community and fight off this thing and unplug all the the computers. We'd never trust each other enough to do that. Yeah, we'd be fucked. This is like, like you see, you ever see uh, uh, the Quiet Place too? Did you see that yet? I haven't seen it. I keep hearing you were telling me about it the other day. I yeah, because I saw it. Like I the haven't day seen it came one. Out. I gotta see one first. Dude, it's it's kind of like that. It's like if if technology turned against us or or, or something happened where we couldn't rely on it, we would just revert to the tribal shit. Yeah, it, it for just, sure. Quickly, yeah, quickly. Survival of the fittest real fast. It real would take fast. a couple weeks. couple weeks. Yeah. yeah, 100%. If shit goes south, I mean, that's when you saw in L.A. all those people waiting in line to buy guns. What do you think they were worried about? I don't know. They were worried about shit going south. And I'm do, worried about peeing my pants. Do we're going to end this thing. It's 4.05. I got to piss so bad. All right, let's get it. I've had two drinks and about five glasses of water. Brian Simpson, you're a bad motherfucker. You're very funny, and um, I'm real excited. I'm excited to meet you, and I'm excited to see you kicking ass. Hell yeah. We recorded the Netflix thing in uh, this summer, and it's coming out in, in October. Fall. Yeah, in October. Yeah. And uh, you'll be tonight, well, tomorrow, too late, bitches, at uh, Vulcan. 
gas company, Austin, Texas. Yeah, yeah. Holla Tell everybody me. your oh, uh, I'm Instagram. Be, oh, it's uh, my Instagram is a uh, BS comedian. I think the next place I'm so this comes out tomorrow. Yeah. Okay, so my ne- the next place I'm gonna be is uh, Kansas City. Where's that? When's that? Uh, <clears throat> when's that, brother? It's next weekend. Next weekend. The Cam- is? Comedy Club of Kansas City. Dates? What is that? Uh, the fifteenth and the sixteenth. And the seventeenth, and the seventeenth of Kansas yeah. of uh, July, Kansas yeah. City. Yeah. All right, thank you. All right, it was a lot of fun. Appreciate yeah, man, it. thanks for having me. My pleasure. Yeah, let's fucking let's pee. Bye, everybody. Yeah. Later. <laughs>